All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Curse of Oak Island and Beyond live stream. I am your host, Jeff Freeman, and right over here is my co-host, Jack Campbell. Jack, how are you doing today? Good afternoon, Jeff. I'm doing real well. Great. I tell you what, uh, finally have some nice weather out here today. And folks, I, I'm really, really excited about uh, our special guest that we'll have coming on here in just a couple of moments. Um, but before we do, I just wanted to do a little housekeeping, some of the things that we like to go through, which is talking about our YouTube channel we have out there, JFree906. If you're out there on JFree906, if you would, please subscribe. Click that subscribe button for us. And if you want to get information about when we uh, have new content coming on, click that notification bell and you'll get some information right away. We're also over on the Twitch side today. We're doing Twitch TV. Uh, we're out there as well. It's JFree906. And we also have our Patreon uh, uh, page. It's up there. It's also JFree906. That's J-F-R-E-E-906. If you want to help support the show, and we really, really appreciate that very, very much. Um, so Jack and I have been talking about this for a long time. And uh, the fact that we, we also have uh, Jan Anderson, our one of our moderators. We have Linda, our admin for the group out there working today. Um, so we really appreciate all the hard work that they do, uh, and, you know, for the show and keeping us going. And if I tell you what, they folks, keep us in line, Jeff. yeah, they do. They keep us in line. That's absolutely right. So, uh, but we really appreciate them very much. And of course we appreciate y'all you here being here today with us. Um, Jack and I have been talking about the fact we were very excited about having, uh, we've been working on Skinwalker Ranch, uh, and the show that I'm super excited about so many really, uh, interesting things happening at Skinwalker Ranch um, that uh, need answers. And we have a wonderful team out there. And we have one of the members of that team here with us today, Thomas Winterton. And I'd like to bring him on right now to the stream. Thomas, hey, welcome. And thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks, guys. It's great to join you. Really love having you here. Yeah, I tell you, we really are. I've, I've, uh, we've had quite a few uh, people asking us, uh, you know, some questions. We always put out a little bit of, ahead of time. Uh, questions and you know, tell people, Hey, if you have any questions for our guests, go ahead and let us know so we can ask them during the show. And so we've got, got a good list of questions. Uh, quite a few people were interested in seeing, uh, meeting you today and getting to hear what you have to share with us. Uh, and again, that's, that's what this is all about because we know that on the show, you know, we get what 40 <laughs> minutes per episode. Um, and so much of that is, is, you know, you know, the film that's done hours and hours and hours of video that's taken with you guys doing your research. Uh, a lot of that ends up on the cutting room floor and we get to see a short, you know, snippets of 40 minutes per episode, um, which doesn't really tell the full story. And that's why we like to have you guys come on because this is the opportunity for you to come on and explain more of that story to us that we don't get to see because we know there's so much more to it than that. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming that's the case for Skinwalker Ranch as well. Um, what I'd like to do is start off with a little bit of your background, Thomas. Um, now, you're a resident of the area, correct? Yeah. So uh, I was born here in Roosevelt, which uh, my my home that I was born in is six miles from where uh, from the ranch, the way the oh, crow wow. flies. And uh uh, I've, with the exception of a, a few years at college and uh, a few years to serve an LDS mission, I've lived here the rest of my life. So I, I've been here almost, I don't know, 30, 36 years. Wow. Wow. And and during that time, I would imagine that, uh, you know, if you're only, what, six miles away from Skinwalker Ranch area, you're still within the Uinta Basin, correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. The Uinta Basin is, uh, it starts about over there. Um well, Fruitland, Duchesne area on the west and runs all the way uh, through Vernal 
on the east. And so you're, uh, it, I mean, it's 60, 80 miles long. Wow. Yeah. It looks like we've seen some of the pictures. I've got a few pictures just in case we need to pull them up. I've Everybody knows when they watch my shows, they know I love to do my visuals and I have a lot of pictures from the show. Uh, but and there's a picture of that basin showing just about how large it is, you know, from like a, a satellite view. Um, so so you've known about just a lot of it your whole life, haven't you? Really, bits and pieces of it. Yeah, I mean, um, some of my earliest memories is uh, I've had family members that have had some very remarkable, really scary, traumatizing events that have taken place. Wow. And uh, growing up you'd be hard pressed to find a lot of people that have lived here for very many years in the basin that haven't had some type of unexplained experience. Uh, they've, they've happened frequently and they've happened for decades. So these ones that happened to family members happened in the late seventies. So it's been going on a long time. Wow. Yeah. And that's something too, that we, uh, <clears throat> we know that, you know, we were introduced to the uh, late junior Hicks, um, and meeting his, uh, on the show, meeting his, some of his family ward and, uh, uh, Jan, Jan Lee, um, mm -hmm. and his granddaughter. Um, and I think we were actually saw just recently, um, on uh, last episode, I think we met his, I think it was his grandson, if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. yes. um, yeah. was on the show. And I tell you, junior had gone around over years collecting a lot of, of information. What do you, did you know him for, have you known him for years or did you know him for many years in his family? Yeah. So that was actually my first exposure to Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, junior actually just lived up the street from my dad's brother. Oh wow. And, uh, at the height of the activity during the time that the Shermans were on there, uh, you know, junior was, would go out and investigate, uh, those sightings. And, uh, and so living next to my uncle, he, he would share the stories of what was going on there. And that was, that was my first exposure of Skinwalker Ranch of learning what it was, was actually uh, through Junior Hicks talking to my uncle. And uh, Junior, Junior was incredible. Um, even, even before I knew him as an investigator, I mean, he had this old Chevy truck. He was an electrician. Uh, he was also a science teacher that taught up the, the yeah. um, junior high up there at, right above the ranch actually. Um, and he, he's documented this, I want to say 70 years, but that may be incorrect, but at least 50 years he has, he has gone around. And I think the thing that surprised me was, is that junior, uh, I, I knew that he's investigated and that he's gone around and interviewed all the people, but I had no idea until his family brought his collection um, when we started flipping through his documentation, I, I don't know that there's another collection like it in the entire world. And so. uh, he was meticulous. And being a science teacher, he followed the scientific process. Yep. And so what we have is you have all these sightings where they filled out the exact same form, answered the same questions, went through the same procedure. And he was very thorough in the way that he conducted the interview, mm. you know, uh, even even wanting to make sure that if there are multiple witnesses that he interviewed them separately, uh, you know, so uh, his his collection is absolutely stunning. And when we started going through all of the documentation and then obviously when I came on the ranch, uh, you know, Bigelow didn't turn over any data to Brandon. Yeah, nothing. That's too, yeah. 
It well, on one sense, it is a shame, and on the other sense, it's actually a blessing because we started with a blank slate. That's and true. We had no presumptions going into what was going to happen. Yeah, right exactly. Yeah. Right. So, like our our view wasn't tainted by anything that they had or had not witnessed. Uh, we we really were starting with a blank slate because of that, and because so many of the people associated with the Bigelow era are under non-disclosures and can't speak with us. Mm -hmm. uh, we really were starting from, from square one. Yep. Junior Hicks was one of those people that Bigelow brought onto the ranch to come and investigate some of these things. So uh, matter of fact, Mr. Bigelow actually flew Junior Hicks down to his aerospace and had Junior speak at one of his wow. uh, uh, events down there in Vegas. So Bigelow had a lot of respect for Junior Hicks. Junior Hicks had a lot of respect for Mr. Bigelow. There was a friendship there, and when things would happen, uh, they would have Junior come out. Um, and so Junior was one of those times. He was one of the few people that we could get a hold of that had been there when Bigelow was there that could tell us some of the things that had happened. And uh, and, he, and Junior was just a – he was a really down-to-earth, very credible guy. I mean, he, he didn't uh, – I never got the feeling that he ever embellished or that he ever – um, he just repeat, he was very factual. He just repeated it as it had been told to him. Yep, right. And, uh, so we brought him on. We actually had the privilege. We brought him on before the television series, even, uh, Brandon, you know, junior was getting up into his nineties at that time when we got, when we took over the ranch and we couldn't afford to lose all of that history. So Brandon actually hired, uh, a biographer to come out and junior sat down and had, done a lot of recording, recorded a lot of his stories. Mm -hmm. So we've got Junior Hicks where we've we've actually had him come out and film several times unrelated to the show. And then obviously uh, when we were getting ready to film the, the series, we brought him on again. But um, yeah. Wow. I yeah. think the one thing that really impressed me with what Junior Hicks did was that when he had the people do the drawings, you know, of what they saw and everything else. And then when uh oh! You guys went back and looked. And it, there were two or three instances where it was identical drawings, but from different people, different times, and everything else. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Well, there's so much phenomena surrounding UFOs or UAPs, whatever term you'd like to use. Yep. Um, I think one of the things that stood out to me, and 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 quite honestly, this is one of the mysteries that I see out of the ranch is we've had we've had many many uh uap sightings out there and the interesting thing is is sometimes uh we see them and the cameras don't sometimes we have we've had groups of people there where half the group could see it and the other half couldn't wow we've had we've had times where uh their group saw it or there was a group half saw half didn't and and the cameras got it to where you have to wonder you know why? Yeah, why? Why does this uh, take place? So yeah. why do uh, people not see it? Yeah. With Junior, what made his data so remarkable is not only did he take. I mean, you kind of saw a glimpse of all the drawings that he'd have people sketch these out. Right. Um, right. But then he took and compiled that into a database, and so he's showing us like, okay, so there's been 500 sightings, and of those 500 sightings. Uh, 320 of one of them were cigar shaped and, you know, 20 of them were this shape. 
and 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 he has it all. So, did they make sound? Right. You know, all of that stuff. So it, it's remarkable. And and Junior was an icon around here. He had this old old Chevy pickup. He was an electrician, and you just saw him around town doing. I mean, he he worked as an electrician clear up until i mean late 80s so he's, he's just wow. a re remarkable guy but he's icon in the area and uh we definitely miss him yeah i was gonna say that would he would be somebody that i would definitely would love to have met um and his research and the and the way his methodology uh as it was explained at, at least to us on the show and you kind of elaborated on it just a little bit there about a form that he would use so he kept everything standardized you know, he didn't, you know, you know, ask these guys this question and these folks this question. It was all standardized. That way you can collect that data and analyze it in, in a better fashion rather than, you know, scattering of information uh, from different questions that may have been asked. And I, that 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 methodology is that's the science teacher in him right there, you know, speaking for right. that, uh, you know, and, and I can't wait because we know that um, uh that um, Tom and uh, and Candace now have, or that you know that data was brought and given to them. We just saw that on the, I think it was the last episode. Um, and so now they're going to be able to again taking and maybe even go a little farther than he did with his database um, and get find out you know what was the weather like each time things were found, or what was the was it at nighttime, or what time of day was it, or you know and you know whatever, and put all this together to get a better picture of when these things show up because i know you guys are out there and i and i know that the the term kicking the hornet's nest or poking the hornet's nest comes up quite a bit but you know and you're trying to get something like that to happen and so if if um if you can look at that data and go oh well it seems like we get more things happening between you know six o'clock or and i know he had some of that there would it did yep. show some of that um you know but it just helps when you can collect that data and put that together. And, and I know that is Eric going to be involved in that at some point, Eric Bard. Oh, Eric, uh, matter of fact, you know, I think Candace and Tom took it, but all of that will be turned over to Eric, Eric, mm -hmm. everything goes through Eric and, uh, Eric is extremely organized, very <laughs> meticulous. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, ultimately our hope is look, we're, we're excited to get it to help us with our investigation. But when the Hicks family was there, and, you know, they knew Junior was into this, um, but they're busy with their lives. And, and I don't think, it, to me, it was apparent when they came, they didn't understand the value of what it was that they had. Right. And uh, as we visited with them, you know, Travis just kept reinforcing, you guys don't know what you have here. Like, and, and so ultimately, it's my hope, uh, it's all of our team's hope. Mm -hmm. uh, we're happy to have that data help us with our investigation, but I really hope that the family will compile it and put it out for everybody because, uh, I, would, I would like that. To, I would like everybody to be able to have access to what junior to his lifetime's work. So my hope right. is, is the family will, will take a serious effort in trying to compile it and publish it in a way that everybody can have access to it. Now on the last episode, at least, Additional cases. I thought I, I, they said they found 200 more records that they gave you. They were additional from what they had given you before. Yeah. And see, he's just got, when they came, he literally has boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff. So it, it, I think it is a little overwhelming to look at it, but I know there's people out there that are good at that kind of thing. And, and my hope is, is that the family can team up with somebody that can, uh, really show honor and 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 do it 
you know, do it the good it deserves. Yeah, exactly. And I know that there's there's millions of people out there would love to be able to see the result of that too. And I'm one of them. I know that we would all like to see that because anytime, you know, and, and you got, we'll get to it a little bit later when you got to meet uh, Linda Howell, you know, when she came out to the ranch. And again, she's one of these people that have been investigating this type of stuff for many, many years. And like I said, we'll get to that when we get to that portion. But uh, you know, it's in, invaluable. We need that information. And so many people are hungry to find out exactly what that's all about. Um, what I'd like to do is jump back just a little bit. You had mentioned, you know, being on the on the ranch, you know, before uh, the filming started. What was your initial role? I mean, were, when you, you met, how did you, well, let's ask that. How did you meet Brandon and get involved with him? Uh, so Brandon bought the ranch in April of 2016. Mm -hmm. And um, immediately, well, matter of fact, when Brandon first uh, came out here, he brought with him uh, Jim Morse, and you've seen Jim yep. Morse on yep. TV. He's he was the ranch manager, and but he's he's a he's a very successful real estate developer in Salt Lake, and Jim has spent his life working with Native Americans. He's raised hundreds of millions of dollars for the Native American Scholarship Fund, That's and true. so um, when Brandon bought this this Skinwalker Ranch, which obviously derives its name from the Native American yep. legend, yep. Uh, Brandon reached out to Jim, knowing that Jim has a lot of connections and relations, mm -hmm. and asked him if he would accompany him out here and figure out, you know, exactly what this was. Because remember, he, he bought it from Bigelow, and you can Google it, but he wasn't sure quite what he was getting. <laughs> and um, yeah. so the first the first uh, week that Jim came out here uh, to start to figure out what this was for Brandon. Uh, my wife and I own a small luxury hotel here in Roosevelt mm -hmm. and Jim rolled into town. It was funny. It was actually on a Sunday and, and uh, I would, I'd been at church and I got called out of church because one of my guests was having problems with their TV. And so I came down to help them fix their TV. And I was just coming out of the room when Jim rolled into the parking lot. And uh, so we, we met, he introduced himself and we got talking and he found out that I was a general contractor Um here in the state of Utah as a licensed contractor. And he said, you know, uh, just I'm representing an individual who I can't, I can't tell you who it is, but uh, he bought this Skinwalker Ranch. Have you ever heard of it? I'm like, yeah, I've, I've yeah. heard of the ranch. <laughs> Used to try to sneak on there in high school when I was in high school. Yeah. Um, and uh, he said, well, where you're a licensed contractor, maybe you could come out and do a, an, an inspection for us. We have no idea where any of the facilities are sitting and uh, if you'd come out and, and I was like, yeah, of course, because it's been locked down. And, and so, you know, the kind of the idea of being able to go on someplace that nobody else has been able to go on to was, was fun. So I went on there and, um, unfortunately a lot of the facilities on the ranch were in a state of disrepair, needed a lot of attention. Um, we had a few legal issues that were pending against the ranch. Uh, for example, the, the road that actually went through the ranch was a public easement and oh, uh, wow. for years yeah for years bigelow had kept it locked which is illegal in utah you can't you can't lock a public easement right um and so as soon as brandon bought it the county reached out and said hey you can't you can't be legal uh locking this up and we panicked a little bit because how can you conduct a scientific investigation when you've got a thoroughfare right through the middle of it right it would have been a yeah. catastrophe. Wow. Um, I, I have a lot of deep uh, political connections here in the basin, having lived here my whole life. And, and my dad was a county commissioner in Duchesne County. The ranch is in 
the neighboring county, but mm-hmm. I've, I've worked closely with all of them. And so I, I went through the process and Brandon wishing to remain anonymous. Uh, I, I was, I, he made me the, the representative for the ranch. And so I went through the legal process and got that road vacated uh, and deeded back to us so we could shut it down. And, yep. and at that point, um, Brandon just asked me if I would stay on and run it. You know, Jim lives in Salt Lake and Brandon is out there in the Salt Lake area. Um, and so Brandon just said, where well, you're out there and, and my job with the hotel gave me the flexibility and the freedom to be able to do both. And so uh, I, I took over. And so I've been I've been there pretty much since uh, the beginning of May of 2016. Wow. And, uh, you know, I came on excited to to be able to rub shoulders with Brandon, who is a he, Brandon is a very successful figure in Utah. And, um, you know, I, for <laughs> me, it was more of the novelty than anything. Um, I came on as a complete skeptic. I didn't I, I believe that what we had was a bunch of hyped which is Story. good in a way to be have that. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I, I remember going on the first time and, and the ranch is a very beautiful scenic place, mm-hmm. but I remember going on and thinking, I don't, I don't know what the big deal is. Um, but I, I had, I did have a couple experiences early on that uh, I wrote off just kind of, you just, you, you find a way to compartmentalize it and rationalize it and write it away. But as I've been on there and then the, the things start to mount and then my injury happened and, and it yeah. got to the point that I couldn't, you know, at some point you have to say, you know, one time can be a coincidence. Maybe 10 times can be a coincidence. We're at a hundred. I don't know how it's still a coincidence. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, for sure. And I know you, you just talked about it and I don't know what your feelings are about the injury. You know, obviously they talk about it on the show quite a bit, but I mean, that was pretty, pretty devastating. I mean that, uh, and, and this happened obviously before the filming, right before the show was taking place where, when was that about, if you don't mind, I, I don't know, like, again, I don't know your feelings about talking about that, but you know, when did I don't that mind ha- talking about the Like, you know, the generalities of it, I don't mind talking about. Okay. Yep. My, my, there, there is a lot surrounding my injury that uh, I don't feel comfortable talking about. I, I will tell you that it, it turned my world upside down and uh, pre-injury and post-injury are two different worlds for me, the way that I view the world. Um, there were things that took place during and after my injury that I just frankly, even to this day, have a hard time. Um, wow. I, 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 I don't know that I've even come to terms with them yet, but um, it happened. So my injury took place. It actually started on my birthday. So it's really easy for me to remember it. Wow. it that was the first uh, time that I. So March March fourth of twenty seventeen was, uh, and that was happened to be a Saturday, and it, my wife and I had been at a at a family member's funeral all day, so we'd been sitting in a church house at a funeral service, and then with family, and uh, we came home, had a little cake and ice cream, and then went to bed. And when I laid down, uh, I had a really really tender spot, um, and it was on the lower back part of my head right here. And, uh, you know, I, I laid down like, oh, just the touch of the pillow hurt it. And I thought, I don't remember getting hit there. Right. But uh, I didn't think anything of it. But when I woke up Sunday morning, that tender spot had swollen up and it was like a really tight goose egg. And, uh, you know, about the size of a 50 cent piece. Mm. And uh, 
I I just thought, huh, I must like I must have had an insect bite or a spider bite. Right. And I'm reacting to that. So I didn't think anything of it. As Sunday wore on, I started to have other physical effects. I started to get nauseous, uh, headache, um, just almost feeling flu-like, um, but but a more severe strain of that. And my wife was like, maybe we should go have you checked. And I, I'm the guy that, like, you take me to the hospital when I'm unconscious because I just <laughs> I don't go to the doctor. Yeah. And uh, I told her, I said, no, it's just an insect bite. Like, just let it run its course. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I'm relatively healthy. Not relatively. I am very healthy. Um, and uh, so it, it continued to get worse. And finally, uh, I got so sick through Monday. She, she was starting to get adamant. Like, we need to take you in. And I said, look, it's probably just like a black widow or something. Like, let my body fight it. I'll get over it. And, uh, and Tuesday morning, that bump had spread all the way through my head. And what would mm. happen is there was fluid that there was fluid that was coming in. Um, that it, and it would get so tight that it would peel the fatty tissue away from my skull. Yeah. And so it literally scalped me. And by the time I woke, she woke up Tuesday morning, it had spread all the way through my head. And, and I had a purple line right across my forehead here where, yeah. it, where it had peeled it away. And the rest of the head was, was uh, pretty expanded. And by the time we got to the hospital, it continued down into my eyes to where by Tuesday afternoon, I could pretty much grab my hair and walk my scalp around my head completely separate. Um, And so, you know, this this whole injury took place the beginning of March. Uh, It was the end of February, so like a week or two earlier, that the U.S. evacuated all of the um, embassy workers from Cuba, what they're calling now the Havana Syndrome. Yes, Um, yes. There's... There's a lot of similarities there. And, wow. Uh, wow. The time frame is the same. So now. Really? Oh, my goodness. Why some farm kid in middle of nowhere, Utah, is experiencing this is, you know, definitely baffling. But uh, the only the only connection here is that I'm on this ranch that's been watched and studied by the Pentagon and by a lot of three letter agencies and, uh, you yeah. know. And I'm the manager of that. So anyways. Wow. wow. Yeah. I tell you what, and, and you, you said you talked about the fact that you've been changed since then, you know, and, and I know that, you know, and again, we'll, you know, we'll probably elaborate on a little bit more when we get there, but you know, the, you, when you had the experience with Travis was having an experience and you were like, guys, I'm getting a headache. I'm out of here. Uh, and that was, I mean, you probably wouldn't, if, if this hadn't happened, you'd be thinking, oh, a headache, you know, yeah, whatever, I'm going to hang out. But knowing that now, you're like, uh-uh, I'm not hanging around. And I'm, you know, I'm all for you. You, you got in the car and you, or Jeep and you took off. And I'm glad you did because obviously you don't want something like that to happen again. It was very, I mean, oh, life-threatening. I mean, I, I can imagine that. Uh, well, and we'd had, you know, the, the thing you don't see on the show is we yeah. actually, um, you were mentioned earlier about how much filming we do. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I did the math just for fun the other day, 14 weeks of filming five days a week, averaging 12 hours a day. And then you think that we run an average of three to four cameras, uh, during the day. Right. Uh, your, your, we're literally what you're seeing on TV is less than 0.009% of what we shot. I knew right? it. it had to be something crazy like that. Oh my goodness. So there's a, there's a statistic for you. What you're seeing on the 
10 episodes, 470 minutes, you can do the math, but you're seeing 0.009% of what we shot. And there's just so much that ends up on the the cutting floor. Um, You know, I got, I got extremely sick after we dug, I, I forget which episode it was when we were out there digging and the metal detector was, was going off uh, on the dirt. Mm-hmm. Um, so season two or yeah, season two. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, we're out there. I was out there with a little mini excavator and, yeah. and uh, you know, that was the weirdest thing. We, and we were out there for a long time because that stuff happens. And this is the thing the camera doesn't pick up is, uh, even though we have a television show to, to make, we have the science side of this, right? Mm-hmm. So the first question is, is our metal detector malfunctioning? So then right. you have we have to go through the process of making sure we're not getting – the metal detector is giving us accurate things and, and turning mm-hmm. it off and resetting it and testing it, putting stuff down in the dirt, seeing – like we go through all of this and then uh, – and, and we're still getting it. And what you're seeing on TV is just like the brief yeah. snippets, right? Exactly. Right. Um, so we started doing, we, we dig that, dug this and th- that process, we were out there for a long time. And, um, I started to feel funny. Like as we were getting towards the end of it, I started to feel really, we'll, we'll use Travis's term, swimmy headed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could feel something going on and it was so fascinating because that soil, the metal detector would be beeping and then, um, Eric's lightning detector would go yes. off. Yep. And then the metal detector wouldn't pick anything up. It would go dead. It would stop. Exactly. A short period of time later, the metal detector would start beeping and Eric's thing would go off. And then it was so this repeated, which it looked like the ground was collecting a charge Mm -hmm. and it would build up and then it would discharge and then it would go back to. And the interesting thing is, see, Caleb has a taser uh, with him. Mm-hmm. And we thought maybe the lightning detector, you know, oh, um, so okay. part of it was Caleb actually took his taser out and he could take the attachment off, pull the trigger and cause the sparks. Yep. Right. It, that wasn't setting Eric's lightning detector off. So when That's a taser mm-hmm. put fairly close to that is not setting that off, but then. The soil is, you know, that's where the strange things go. And that's where I feel like some of the story is lost is when you start getting into the details of what we did uh, behind the scenes. But I ended up getting really sick. Travis got sick. So the the very next morning after digging that, I was so sick that like I required help to get out of bed. My wife had to help me out of bed and I would have called in sick, but we have such a tight filming schedule out there. And, and some of these people travel long distances to get to the ranch. We can't reschedule them. We can't bump them to the next day because we've already got the next day scheduled. Right. So we have a very tight schedule that we're adhering to. And there was no way for me to call in sick. So I went in and I, I forced myself all day. And, and, you know, the next day the cameras go down and I told the guys, I said, I'm not doing very good guys. Like I'm, I'm sicker and shit. And, and Travis like, Oh my gosh, dude, he's all this morning. When I woke up, I was done. He's all, I, I was packing my stuff up. I got in the Jeep and he said, I was, I was sitting there ready to drive off this ranch and never come back. Wow. And, uh, so, you know, say what you want, but whatever we did digging out there at the triangle, we had some serious 
after effects of that that you don't see on TV. Wow. And yet, you know, and yet you, you know, you were given, you guys talked about this with Brand, uh, with Brandon, you know, be able to get permission to do the digging. And I know that was a big sticking point because of what happened with you in the past, uh, partly what happened with you in the past. Um, and then to know that because we did not get that, they did not talk about any of that on the show. Obviously we didn't know, you know, we seen at one point, I think if, if this is the same digging that you're talking about when we seen Candace down in the hole, um, she had gone down in there. Was that when you were digging those? That's actually, that was actually a separate exercise. Okay. okay. Yep. Because we went out to the triangle. Uh, we'd picked up something with the GPR. Mm -hmm. Well, matter of fact, we had James Keenan come out yep. and James Keenan had done the, the uh, measurements across there. That's mm -hmm. when we noticed some anomalies there. So the, uh, I think he had a magnetometer. I can't remember what his instrument was. And so then we brought Zach out, uh, to do the GPR, the ground right. penetrating radar. Right. And we picked something up. That's why we chose to dig there. You know, our team, me personally and Eric, we're not opposed to digging, but this is Prometheus, right? Mm -hmm. That's producing this show right. that, that obviously does Curse of Oak Island. Mm -hmm. And the one thing we were nervous about when they, when we signed on to do this is we didn't want to be Curse of Oak Island verse, version two. Yeah, like, exactly. I right. Yep. We, yep. we didn't want to just be mm. plugging holes around the ranch for the sake of television. Right. And so one of the big things is, is that yes, we're willing to dig one, if we take the proper safety precautions and two, if the data leads us there, we don't want to just go popping holes in the ground to pop holes in the ground. Right. So in this case, we had the magnetometer that had indicated something unusual. We brought Zach in with, uh, to do the GPR, the ground, the ground printed, ground penetrating radar showed that there was something there. So then we brought in the mini excavator and did some light digging. And then, but that was separate from the exercise that you saw where we over in the field where the cow died. Yes. And then further, right. later, further down into the corner. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. When, when you had that experience where you were digging and that ruler, you know, it just kept moving, 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 you know, Candace never had any reaction to that or anything down there when she was down there. Not that I'm aware of. She she never never mentioned anything to us. Yeah, but that was a different uh, yeah a different time. But but yeah, she uh, but you know. And while we're on this subject, you know, that's something very interesting as well. Um, you know, and I you know I I get myself. I'm involved in a lot of different things, not only with the UAPs or UFOs, but also with paranormal and things. And I've learned over the years that there are people that are susceptible to certain stimulus. Uh, whether that be electromagnetic fields or whether that be, you know, something paranormal, whatever it may be, not everyone is susceptible to the same. Um, it, it may be the amount of the, uh, a subparticular um, occurrence of something, um, stimuli from something. Um, and it seems like, you know, you, you take um, Dragon, for instance, or, or Eric, you guys could all four, you with Travis, all four be working in a particular area you and Travis are affected by it physically, but not Eric and Dragon. So you, you look at that and you're thinking, you know, what is the difference between, you know, your physiology? What is the difference between you and them and Travis and them that is creating that? And that's something that's another area of investigation that I'd like to know. What, what do you, what do you, I mean, it seems like you and Travis are both very, um, you know, he got affected by the signals or you both did. You left the ranch. 
then he mm -hmm. was over in his trailer and he was watching some stuff and then he kind of just got that what do you call it swim swimmy head feeling swimmy headed yeah yeah and uh and then he, he lost his train of thought he couldn't get his thoughts back he was fe feeling a tingly and immediately then of course dragon jumps right in because that's part of his job and his concern uh is that oh you know i'm going over there and he goes over to the trailer and he's telling and, and again you guys you guys in your different areas have to have some of the most difficult jobs and that that's a difficult job for dragon right there because part of his job is to keep everybody safe as well as he can so he goes over there he's telling travis travis you need to we need to get you out of here and travis like oh no you know it'll go you know it'll be fine no <laughs> we need to do something with you right now you know and you know, for him to try to force that, I mean, he's, he's doing the best he can. Um, but then going inside the silo and I call it a Faraday cage, you know, you're getting inside uh -huh. of a metal enclosure and then boom, it goes away. Um, had something like that. Had you ever tested that before going inside of a silo or anything like that before? I mean, was that the only time that that occurrence happened? No, you know what? That was really smart on Travis's part. Um, sometimes you have those incidents where you're like, duh, like, why didn't I think of that? That, you know, um, so obvious, but, but actually, so that particular incident though, we got two good pieces of data and, and I'm actually glad that I left the ranch and I'm glad that Travis went in there because here's the deal. When, when I was in the control room and we're starting to monitor this high, this high spike in the RF, Mm -hmm. my head started to have what I call pins and needles. Uh, it, very similar to like when one of your limbs goes to sleep and then the yep. blood flow recurves. Okay. Yep. And, and it felt like pins and needles all over my scalp. It was a, it was a pins and needles sensation. It didn't necessarily hurt, but it was a really creepy feeling mm -hmm. sensation where right. it felt like all the hair follicles were reacting to something. Right. Mm, yeah. Then, so I'm sitting there like this is all going on and I'm feeling this and, and I'm consciously aware of this going on. So part of my thoughts as I'm sitting there in that room is like, what is going on right now? This is crazy. Um, but then the part that scared me was, is I started to feel a really strong pounding behind one side. I don't remember if it was my right side or my left side, mm -hmm. but inside my head, I started to feel pretty good pounding headache. And that's when I'm like, okay, I'm out of here. Right. Now yeah, I jumped in and I left. All yeah. Over, yeah. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, my my other injury. So I had a small reoccurrence of it in season one. We were out there camping in the field um, that like it comes. I can't explain it, but it's more of an external. It's it's outside the skull or outside the scalp. But it's it's it is inside. I, it's hard to describe. But the, the pounding headache actually is not. It's, it's a different pain point than my. Oh, wow. Andre, were you at the Mesa when that happened, if I remember correctly? The, in season one? Yes. We were actually camping right next to the bait pen there in the field. Oh, yeah. Right. And we were doing the experiment with the laser pointed yeah. towards the Mesa. Right. And then we saw the infrared beam off to the west. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's when, I, and then we were holding up a board trying to, what we were trying to do is get a direction on where this was coming from. And that's when my head and that sensation was identical to my first injury. And that's yeah. what worried me about that was, is it was in the exact same spot and it was, it felt the same. So that one was worrisome. But in this, in season two, when I left the ranch, now this is, this is the data that we got out of that. I mean, some of it 
was as I drove away from the ranch uh, out towards the main road, that pins and needles sensation got less and less and less to where by the time I got to the main road uh, to go into Fort Duchesne, the pins and needles sensation had subsided. It was gone. Um, The headache persisted for several more hours, but the pins and needles was gone. While the pins and needles were gone for me, Travis was having his episode simultaneously over there in his place. So, and, and then we, when I got back, we went through and we matched up the timelines. Um, so the sensation disappeared on me, but it was actually still just intense or if not more intense on the ranch Um, at the same time. So what that tells us is, is one, Travis went into the silo and it, it alleviated it immediately. Mm-hmm. Like you said, a Faraday cage. Um, so that, that is an important piece of data to tell yep. us what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And the second thing was, is we get asked all the time, is this just happen on the ranch or, or like, does it happen other places too? Well, the entire Unibasin is a hotbed of strangeness. There, there's things that happen basin wide, but there does seem to be, the ranch seems to be an epicenter for a lot of this activity. And I do believe we witness things on that ranch that we don't witness other places. Well, yeah, here is one specific instance that we have where we have some pretty strong data to suggest mm-hmm. that it was focused right there where we were at on the ranch. As yep. I got further away, the symptoms went away and they were still happening on the ranch. So uh, that would suggest that for some reason, the ranch is the focus of some of this activity That's and it's not happening off the ranch right wow and it does seem to be considered of the silos taking any of them with you when you go out of some of these experiments (laughs) we talked about that maybe make it a smaller version of it that you could have and take it when you're doing an experiment when something happens have somebody jump into it real quick not a silo but maybe a metal you know structure of some sort you make it a a portable faraday cage where you could jump into it Had, had anybody thought about that before yeah, we've actually had a lot of discussion about um, about different methods that we could use to protect ourselves. I mean, you got those those heat blankets, like in the case uh, the firefighters carry that oh, are yes. supposed to reflect, yes. yep. right? Yep. Um, kind of the aluminum, mm-hmm. um, or they're even in 72-hour survival kits where they're supposed to reflect your body heat in. Um, something as simple as that could reduce or minimize the effect. So. We've, we've talked about that, and I actually think that moving forward, that's something that we'll, we'll probably have in place. Yeah. You, you had those. Uh, I know that Brandon gave you all those bio, uh, uh, like a watch, you know, that you were wearing that would keep your data, uh, track your data. Are you guys still using something like that, or has that been um, – I know you wore them for a while there. Let me just say that uh, the lawyers have really messed up a lot of things in this country. Mm. Um, and I say that because there are a lot of bio, I mean, we're biosensors out there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just like the cattle are. If you start to measure something or th- there's a lot of things that we, I would assume that we would like to do out there. However, if you, if you're monitoring something and, and let's just put that if it's perceived at all that we're guinea pigs, uh, there, there raises a huge liability issue for everyone involved. And so it's frustrating because I feel like you start getting liability issues and insurance issues and all these lawyer issues involved. 
and it gets in the way of us being able to do hard science. And, uh, you know, we've all signed liability waivers and all that, but it, it does, that, that doesn't matter yeah. if it's perceived that, that you're putting somebody in harm's way intentionally. Right. And so, um, just there, our hands are so tied on a lot of this stuff as far as what we can and can't do. It's frustrating. Yeah. And I know Jenny, um, Jenny, um, asked a question here and that I wanted to kind of touch on too. Um, she's on our YouTube side. Um, and she asked a question. I'm going to bring up this picture real quick and it shows the, it, it's what I was talking about earlier about a, uh, like a satellite image of the uh, basin. Um, and see if I can bring this up here real quick. This was uh, one portion that was on the show. And it, I believe this is when you were actually uh, in Salt Lake in Brandon's office uh, conference room there. Um, and then there was another picture right after this that showed roughly where the Skinwalker Ranch is in relation to the basin. In, in now it's hard for us to tell its actual location in the basin. Is it, I'm assuming it's not like in the center is in your experience or knowing the area, where is it generally located as far as the basin is concerned? No, actually that's the, that's the strange thing is that the ranch itself lies almost dead center. Oh, does it really? Okay. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Wow. It's the, the ranch sits right at the bottom of that bowl. So wow. that's obviously one of the things we're looking at is how much does geography yeah. and, uh, uh, topography play into this. Yep. And I think that's an important, and that was a good question uh, to ask Jenny. Thank you so much for that. Um, but you're right. In, if it is, and if, and I think that, and I know that in season one, Travis was talking about it when he mentioned about the wormhole and the, the folding of space and that sort of thing, um, which really isn't as far out as some people are like, what is he talking about? No, I think that was pretty good uh, to, to bring that up. But um that knowing that if you thought about it as if it were like a satellite dish, mm -hmm. okay, and where's the most, where's the concentration point going to be? Uh, a satellite dish takes that info, you know, that uh, signal or whatever you want to call it and focus it to a certain point. The center is going to be the hottest point. Um, and if that's where the ranch is, oh, yeah, that's totally significant. Absolutely. Yeah. That's. Yeah, without a yeah. doubt, that's significant. There's another picture there, and I forget what this particular one, how this was, you know, pulled together. But yeah, that's that's really significant that it is in the center, almost there, that or in the center of the the basin. Wow. Yeah, did, this is something that, that the scientists have looked mm -hmm. at a lot. Travis actually, if I remember right, Travis did his doctorate dissertation on uh, on the craters on the moon and being able to use those. Like uh, I. I but but Travis is very familiar with that type of principle, mm -hmm. and that's one of the things that he he has spent a lot of time saying that he believes that there may be something to do with the ranch being in the center and and the Una Basin acting like a big parabola, a mm -hmm. big uh, you know focus spot where this energy is being focused. Wow, and and the the experiments that you guys have done, I mean, you know, especially this season, season two that's just wrapping up. Um, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about this as we go along here, but, uh, the, 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 the experiments that like with the Tesla coil, let's go ahead and jump into that, you know, talking about the Tesla coil experiment where, and this is something that I, I remember sending you a text message after we saw that, that, that episode. Um, and I was asking you a question about, oh, it was the battery when you were doing the battery, you were out at, I believe it was Homestead two, and you were hooking up to the well 
and then you were hooking up to a rod you had put in the ground some 60, 70 feet away, mm -hmm. and you were running uh, juice or, you know, electricity through the ground with that battery. And I had asked when the, I had heard Travis say in the meeting with Brandon that it continued after we disconnected. I wasn't sure if he was talking about that, but that was, because he had it hooked up to a flashlight and the flashlight was lighting up. So was that, I mean, obviously the ground is able to conduct electricity uh, through it. So it, I, I wonder if that happens in the rest of the basin or and, you know, it seems obvious that it's happening right there. Was that what he was talking about when disconnecting and in that in the, you were still getting readings even after the power was disconnected? Was that the incident? Yeah, so um, th there's another perfect example. We spent a lot of time out there doing that experiment and on TV it appears like we showed up threw the rods in the ground, you know, <laughs> yep. looked at the Grand Canyon for 10 seconds, said, okay, yeah. let's go. Yeah, um, exactly. That's right. actually, we, we actually did many different experiments that day, uh, put the rods at different points. We, we actually pounded some rods in at different lengths wow. of uh, points. So we spent a lot of time on this experiment. And, and again, here's a time when Eric's lightning detector keeps going off. And yes, another time yeah. when we take that taser, because we're like, you know, if it's picking up electric static discharge, that taser ought to be ought to be activating that yeah, that uh, so, light yep. detector. It should be That's going crazy, mm -hmm. but it wasn't. It didn't. And so that and then we're dealing with a little 12 volt battery. You know, obviously, it's got some significant amps to it. Mm -hmm. But uh, we at one point. We had the voltage meter set up there, and Eric and Travis had some different uh, instrumentation that were looking at a lot of different things, not just the voltage. Mm -hmm. But we disconnected the battery and continued to measure current, See, that's which indicated that somehow that ground was storing Sorry. a charge. Yep. Wow. And and ground just doesn't do that. It just doesn't. Uh, not not normal in any in any other area. It's not going to do that. Um, it, it may allow some to pass through. And I think even Travis had mentioned something about it being in the billions, supposed to be like 0. 0.00000 something uh, in the billions or trillions. You might get a little bit of current coming through there. If the electricity, if the amount of, of amperage you're putting through the ground is high enough, you're going to get a trickle. But they were getting a third of an amp coming through there, which that okay. should not be happening. And, 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 and it's interesting to note that, and again, we talked about this earlier about the amount of filming that, and the work that you guys do. It's, it's, it's almost a disservice to the fact that you guys are conducting all these other experiments and changing your experiment as you go along, trying different things. We don't see any of that, you know, it, it's, but then again, it, it's not a 12 hour show. It's only a one hour show and we get what, 40 minutes. Um, wow, that's that's really interesting to know that you had worked on that for so much time. Um, and, and, and for that lightning detector, now that's something I'm in the rental business. We do rentals uh, of safety equipment. So it, lightning detectors are one of the things that our company deals with. And so, and I brought that up when I remember the very first time that he had talked about the lightning detector going off. Um, and, and we're thinking, okay, there's no lightning in the area and it takes a pretty good zap for that thing to go off and you're getting it when you're disconnecting a 12 volt battery in the ground. So what in repeatedly. the world? Repeatedly. Yes. Thank you. It was, and then Travis mentioned that you were able to repeat that over time and time again. So 
I mean, I remember you seeing you watching you down there disconnecting that thing. And each time you did, beep, you'd hear that thing go off. I mean, and it wasn't consistent. The, the other thing was too, is like half the times when I disconnected it, it would go off. And then there were some times when I would connect it back up that it would make it go off. No. So it went back and forth between the two. It's very baffling. No, it sure is. Man, that's, that's really wild. And then with the Tesla coils, um, when you guys were doing the Tesla experiment, which I thought was fascinating too, you know, being able to build up that much. I think, I think I heard uh, Dragon say something about a, uh, he said something about one mil. What well, I, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly how much it was volts. over a million volts, a million volts. Thank you. I thought that's what he said. Yeah. I was afraid to say that for a second in case I was wrong, but I think yeah, you just to see a, sparks and everything going off and everything going off or just so on tv anyway you're like wow yeah significant and that signal that they were getting um and i had a picture of it that i talked about when i was recapping that episode they were talking about that one particular uh spike you were getting and if i remember correctly that spike even continued caleb was showing that to travis and that spike continued after the Tesla coil was turned off. Is that, did I get, did we get that right out of the episode? Um, so I'll just be honest with you. I, I'm not positive about that. I, I don't want to answer because I'm, I'm not sure. I can't remember how that, you know, we do those experiments and it, there's so much going on. And, and so a lot of times in these experiments, we're all tasked with watching or, or doing a different part. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, literally I will be focused on what I'm doing. They're focused on what they're doing. And the problem with that is, is that when something happens, uh, then you run over there and they try to explain what was, but I wasn't witness to that particular thing because I was busy doing my, my no. assigned ask. No second, no second set of eyes to see it, see it happen. Yep. Yeah. So I can't speak very educatedly to that question, yeah. unfortunately. That was that was interesting, but I mean, being able to uh, it it just goes back to prove the fact that and you guys were successful, I think, in proving the fact that the ground not only can have this current going through it, but it also can build up that charge, and then it's going to have to dissipate at some point. Um, and and then when it does, that's when sometimes when things happen. But you know, it it and it, what you think about what the material makeup of the ground. Now I know when you guys were drilling. Uh, in the triangle area and you know the first time you drilled and you got out about 24 feet or so and you hit water and i know jack was was talking about this jack and i were talking about this earlier um there the flow of that water which seemed to be something that was picked up when you had the uh i might have lost for the word but when he had the drone uh flying over with the scanner on it oh the magnetometer the, yeah yes thank you yeah. magnetometer and so that indicated that there was something happening underneath or something taken, you know, there was something underneath the ground there at the triangle area that was showing up. I think it was showing up blue on the, on the magnetometer, but then you hit that spot. And the, even the guy uh, that um, uh, Zach, I believe it was that did the uh, GPR, he came up with something there as well. And then you mm -hmm. drilled and you find the water. Was that an underground stream of some port or source? It looked like the water was actually moving. Well, so there's two parts of that. Like, you know, underground aquifers, underground water is really not that anomalous. Mm -hmm. Even out here in the desert, right. you'll have you have underground streams that are carrying. Um, that that is frankly something that we need to investigate it a lot more. Um, we didn't 
we didn't actually didn't spend much time. We were so focused on trying to get to a depth of a hundred feet. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's definitely something that we need to look into more because there's, there's obviously, like I say, there are a lot of underground streams and that, that wouldn't be, but the interesting thing is, is that the mag- with the magnetometry readings and see that spot was right where James Keenan independently had come up with his own readings and mm-hmm. his were based on a much larger a- area that spanned tens, if not more miles to the north and south of the yes. ranch. Yes, I right. remember that. Mm-hmm. And and so, um, and and James is of the opinion that there's actually a large underground cavern that is traveling that distance. So, did is that what we came upon, or was it something like uh-huh. we we definitely need to uh, go back and with the uh, with the focus of trying to understand what exactly was that was that just a regular stream going under there or is there something more so right. that's something that i think is still on the checklist of things that we need to follow up on and, and look at a lot closer the reason yeah. i asked that question so much is that one of your first days when you put like forty five thousand gallons in that at one hole yeah and then put the dye down and then you couldn't find anything I mean, you literally could not find any water on the ground or anything. And I never did. Water at 23 feet, I thought, well, wait a minute. What's, you know, what's going on? Yep. Is this where it went? Right. Well, and, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful that we were allowed to dig a little bit. Um, I, I am superstitious about the digging, but I don't have a problem doing it. Um, and so when they brought us out that excavator, uh, you know, I'm grateful that we can start, but I looked at that excavator. I'm like, this is two steps up from a shovel. Um, so I, you know, I would like to go in there with something much bigger um, because it's frustrating to just peel back that onion one layer and not mm-hmm. get an answer. I want to go to, you know, if we don't find it, let's go deeper, deeper, deeper. Um, we, we actually, that dye that we put in there picks up really well under UV light. And so for weeks after doing that experiment, after we were done filming for the day, uh, us guys, after the production crew had gone home, we'd get our UV lights and we would go down along the river. We went over to the well, we went to the cistern, Homestead 2, and we would check under UV light at night to look for any traces of this dye. We, we, we gave up, I think, after about a week and a half, two weeks. We never did find it. So wow. something would indicate, you know, I, I just... I'd like to go deeper in that spot, to be honest. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Then I, I just found, uh, yeah, I, I did grab that picture, um, and I'll, I'll bring it up just briefly here, uh, talking about those points that he had taken. He had not taken any readings on the ranch, of course, because you know probably because he wasn't allowed to be on the ranch, but Correct. south of the ranch and then north of the ranch, and sure enough, that line extended right through the triangle. Um, so, right. yeah, that to your point, yep. Hmm. That's very interesting. And then, of course, that's when you guys were out there um, and taking a look at that spot. That's, that's you know, and somebody asked me, he said, oh, that's not necessarily a triangle. It's because of the roads going around it. Well, yes, the roads are making the triangle. It's the area itself. You guys just happen to call it the triangle because of the roads there is my assumption. But, right. you know, they're like, why Why are they keep, everybody keep talking about triangles on Oak Island or whatever? It's like, it's just because of the roads. It's just the area. Don't think about it as a, you know, you guys named it that, but, uh, but it is a significant spot. Now, wasn't this also the area where when you did the balloon launch, uh, 
and isn't that didn't the balloon basically extend or fly up over that area as well was that kind of the what we got from the show yeah so that the reason why the triangle and you're right it's just named that because we drove there if it was a square or circle we'd call it out at the square or the circle but <laughs> exactly yeah. um yeah that that spot keeps drawing us back now i will tell you personally i've had two personal experiences this was before we ever knew there was anything significant about the triangle really uh the triangle happens to be the two spot or the same spot that I had two different instances of hearing a, vo a voice. Oh, wow. Um, one of the scariest experiences I've had on the ranch came right there on the triangle. It was early, early when Brandon bought it. One time I was out looking for a trespasser and it was the dead of night, 1230 at night. And it was in the summer and I got out there. I was in my vehicle and I heard a voice, an audible male voice tell me to stop. Don't go any further. And at that point, I didn't really think much about it. Um, you know, being religious in our faith, there's the still small voice. I mean, this wasn't a still small voice, but you just think, oh, you know, it's just a warning. Um, I got out, shot a few shots of my shotgun up into the rocks to scare whoever was up there. And then I left and think anything of it. Six months later, I'm out there pushing snow with my skid steer. Mm -hmm. And this, again, is probably 1.30 in the morning. It's snowing lightly. It's, it's beautiful. We have a lot of snow, but I got out there with my skid steer and, and it took four passes for me to get this road plowed out. Mm -hmm. And I got to that triangle spot and I heard, and this was the machine making a lot of racket. I had my earbuds in listening to an audiobook, and I heard that same voice tell me, stop, don't go any further. And I turned around at that point to think anything of it. I pushed the snow back to the ranch house I'm coming back on my third pass. I get to that point and I thought like, this is all in my head. And I just kept going. I only made it maybe one or 200 more feet when I started to have a neurological effect. Mm. Um, and I say neurological, I started shaking uncontrollably oh. and I had the most terrifying internal like fear I've ever experienced in my life. I literally felt like something was going to jump out and eat me. Uh, mm. I, I hear the, you know, the Harry Potter and the Dementors, that's kind of what I'm like thinking this Dementor <laughs> where it sucks the life out of you. Yeah. But I could not get off the ranch fast enough. Um, it, it was one of the most terrifying experiences of my entire life. Oh. And as we got out, as I got out to the edge of the ranch, I got off the place. I continued to uncontrollably shake for 12 hours after that. Um, it was well into the next day before the shaking finally stopped. So that wow. happened there at the triangle. Then season one, we, we triangulated that these strange signals we're picking up were, yep. were coming from a spot about a mile high, but right above this triangle, right. which, which the mesa sit, you know, it sits right at the base of this mesa. Mm -hmm. And this is the same spot of the mesa that we have several eyewitnesses as well as camera footage showing the mesa itself blowing. So we set this weather balloon off. Now to give you an idea, when we let the weather balloon go, went, go off, we actually went down to the bottom of the field because there is a set of power lines that goes across on the north side of that triangle, right? Mm -hmm. Just to yep. services the ranch. Yep. And we obviously didn't want the balloon to get caught up into that. Mm -hmm. So we went down to the bottom of the field. And when we went to let it go, we had a pretty good uh, west to east wind that was blowing. And we were joking. I told him, I said, it's going to be in Colorado before it even gets up to that 5,000 foot mark. We let that go. 
And sure enough, it started to blow towards the east. But as it went up, it curved back almost as if it was in a vortex. Wow. And it went right dead up through the center of that, right above that triangle. And that's also when it got to that exact point is the last ping that we got from that GPS, yep. uh, that hardened GPS monitor is the last time we heard from it. Wow. And um, that was about, that was about 5,000 feet again, wasn't it? That that's right. At, it was almost exactly at 5,000 feet wow. above that mark. See, that's just weird. And so. that's why I keep saying, you know, and I've been, as I got into the show, I liked the show. And then I, you know, cause obviously we're, we started off, you know, we talk a lot about Oak Island, but I like this show. And then, and I thought, you know, we need to, you know, do some looking into this show and talk about it because there's some really interesting things happening there. The more I watched the show preparing for doing the recap of season one and all that, the more I just got so deep into this and I just had to know more information, which is again, why I reached out to you to have you come on and explain some of these things like this to us. It's, it's really remarkable that, that all the different occurrences that are happening. And that's just another one right there. Um, you know, somebody had mentioned in here, I think actually it was Linda. She said the reactions are not specifically within the triangle itself. Is that correct? I mean, you get some reactions just outside of the triangle, obviously, as well. Homestead 2 being one of them, I think, um, that we talked about. Um, it's it's not surely confined just to the triangle. Uh, you know, some of these weird anomalies. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, the, the, we have anomalies that have stretched the entire ranch. So mm -hmm. we have some over on the easternmost side of it, which we call the Eastern Valley. Yep. Yep. Then there is a ton of uh, not only have we witnessed things there at home, what we call homestead one, which is where the caretakers live and where the command center's at. Mm -hmm. um, see, that's where the Shermans live. There's all kinds of things that have happened right there. I personally have had a crazy experience just um, where Travis's trailer's at. There's a Mesa right behind it. Yep. Um, matter of fact, if <laughs> the view behind you, it just be to your immediate left. <laughs> and, uh, Right there on the Mesa, I've had I've had a, an, an event that involved my cell phone going crazy, the, our ranch dog um, having a reaction, and then a, a flashlight um, right there. So we've had there's been a hot spot of things there, and then um, you go further across, you got the triangle that's been a spot. There's a spot down on the south side, down by the creek, just directly south of the ranch house. That has been the reported area of a lot of uh, happenings, especially with the Bigelow people. Mm -hmm. Then you go out to Homestead 2, um, and you've got that whole area. And then there's another homestead over there, Homestead 3, which I we really haven't done anything at. And we don't hear much um, about that. Yeah. We've never heard of it on a show, I don't think, even. But you ask any of us on the ranch team, most of us, like, that's the place I least like to be. I mean. Oh, really? I, yeah, I don't. I don't like to be over there at night um it's and and we've you know i've as a ranch manager i i have a little um uh, i've been able to bring some intuitives on there um as part of the investigation and it's interesting because they different intuitives are picking up the same things there and, and they don't like that place either. So it wow. seems to be a very, so Homestead 3 is a place. And, and there was, uh, supposedly, we have reports of Bigelow's team uh, witnessing portals opening up right there by Homestead 3. So it, it's across the whole ranch. Wow. 
Yeah, that's, that's, that's really, and you know, you talk about an experience you've had several out there and being a paranormal investigator, which I've done a lot of investigations with that. When you have a paranormal investigation, and this is something that Matty Blake was talking about. Um, he does the drilling down show for Prometheus. Um, he, you know, he, he and I discussed this a little bit talking with him and he said, you know, he talks about it, you know, paranormal investigator to be in a paranormal and I experience her. Because once you experience like you did with the voice telling you don't go any further, once you have an experience like that, it changes you forever. I mean, you are you are changed from that point on. And I've had a few of those that had did the same thing for me. Um, it, it it's it's something miraculous that when you hear a voice, and I have heard voices like that. Oh, you had voice in your head, but you get those voices, and I tell you, it 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 changes you. It really does. And uh, you know, and speaking of that, you were. You, you just recently, and I love these, by the way, you just recently did a video, and I think you had it on uh, Ryan Skinner's, uh, I think it was up on Ryan Skinner's uh, Facebook page, and Ryan's another one. I want to talk about Ryan a little bit, too, but um, where you were actually out on the ranch, and you were by yourself, you're cruising around in the in the side-by-side, -side, and you're doing some work out there, you're opening um, irrigation valves and stuff like that, oh, yeah. and then you were also out there at night. Uh, going around. I, I got to tell you, honestly, knowing all the things that are happening on this ranch, are, are you, are, are you a little, are, are you packing heat? I mean, are you a little nervous about being out there at night like that going on? Not, and I'm not talking about people that would try to sneak on, which quite honestly, folks stay the heck off from it. So get, stay away from the ranch, quit, quit trying to go on there. It, it, it's private property, you know, but anyway, with that said, you know, thank you. <laughs> it is. It's private property. It's against the law, and it's just not the right thing to do. Stay off the property. Um, but, but you know, the fact that you're out there at nighttime, knowing all these things are going on, and you're just you're just casually, oh yeah, okay, I'm over here doing this. I, I would, I, man, I don't know. I'd be a little apprehensive about doing that. You don't seem to be affected by that too much. You you have a job to do, obviously, and you're going to do it. But man, oh man, how does that does that bother you? Um, boy, I feel like I got to sneeze here for a sec. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I actually enjoy, I'm, I'm a creature of the night. I, I do my best work at night. Um, I'm not afraid of the dark. I actually enjoy, I love my solitude. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I love about the ranch, I go on there, that gate shuts closed and it's like shutting me out from the world. And, and I tell people, Nine out of 10 times that ranch is so peaceful and serene. And, and I just absolutely love being out there. Yep. When I first went on that ranch, I just believed it was just another piece of dirt that there was nothing unusual. Then yes, things start happening. Um, I'm so stubborn and, and I have a very analytical mind uh, that I was able to write, you know, Oh, that's just a coincidence. So oh, that could have happened anywhere. Oh, you know, I, I write it off and then they start to pile up. Then my injury happened. And, uh, you know, people ask me all the time, why, why do you still go to the ranch? Mm -hmm. Um, after all you've experienced, that's a fair question, but, um, we, we have pretty good, uh, there's individuals that have spent quite a bit of time there that have left the ranch, uh, trying to rid themselves of this hitchhiker effect that it's been yes, called. Yes. Yep. Um, and, uh, it, not only does it not go away, but it almost seems like it intensifies. Mm. And I, I tell people kind of half jokingly, half serious, you know, going on that ranch is kind of like joining the mafia. There's only one way out. 
And uh, I think the, the biggest thing for me was, is I think before my injury, there's almost that sense of invincibility. I mean, at perfect health, I, you, you, I'm young, you know, I'm not thinking about my mortality at this point. And you experience this where uh, you're facing death. I mean, there was a point during my injury that, that the doctor's preparing my wife for the fact that wow. um, I may not pull out of this. And if I do, you know, she'll be feeding me through a straw for the rest of my life. Mm. Um, and, and then the thing I tell people, there's a the physical side of my injury. And then there's the psychological things that took place during the same time that I, that I just, I haven't come to terms with and I'm not comfortable talking about, but the one thing that it did do was in a way it forces you to accept the fact that you're mortal mm -hmm. and, uh, and you're, and this all ties into your question on the ranch and the fact that why, how can I be out there? Well, um, I've, I've come to the conclusion that whether I'm out there or not, there's, I don't know when it's your time. It's your time. And there's nothing you can do about it. I just, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about it. Now I will tell you this. Uh, I have, I have, this is going to sound absolutely crazy, but I don't even care at this. Like I'm, I'm, I'm to the point with this place. I don't even care anymore. Um, I've established this relationship with the ranch and you kind of get a feel I joke with my wife. I said, the ranch is kind of like a woman. And it, when I show up, I never know what kind of mood I'm going to find it in. And there's, <laughs> there's, there's some days. I'm sure she loved that, that analogy uh, right there. There's some days I show up and she's in a good mood and I'm happy to go on the ranch and I feel safe. There's other days I show up and I'm like, okay, I need to be very cautious today. Like the smallest little thing I do could set her off and she could, you know, kick my ass then there's, then there's some days, there have been days where, matter of fact, you know, I take care of all the facilities. There's been a few times where I've shown up, whether it's to irrigate the land. See, we only get water. We only get our water turn. It's a set period of time each week. Wow. And out here in the desert, water is more valuable than gold. And so we get our water starting at 7.45 p.m. on Monday night, and we get it until 8 a.m. Wednesday morning, whether we take it or not. Wow. And if we don't, it just goes down the ditch to the next guy. Right. And so when you're trying to take care of 500 acres and keep it from burning up uh, in the heat, the water is very precious. And there's been a couple times where I've shown up. Uh, and, and, and the thing is, is we don't have enough water to water all the places at once. And so you start at one end of the ranch and you you will water that field. And when it gets water, you turn it off, you move it down to the next field. And that requires me to be out there at all hours of the night. And that never bothers me. I actually enjoy it. But there have been some times where I've rolled up. It was time to change the head gate, shut this one, open that one. And I'll roll up to that gate and the hair just starts standing up on your arm. And it's the most evil, uh, foreboding feeling. And, and it's just like, I don't care if the branch burns up, I'm not going on there tonight. Yep. And yep. so you develop this relationship where you, you kind of get an ebb and flow of, I should be here. I shouldn't be here. I need to be cautious. I need to be alert. And, uh, and so I go out there as long as the feeling is okay, I feel fine being out there. I, I love being out there. There's sometimes matter of fact, this past week was one of them. I was out on the ranch. I got done watering. I actually went over and I laid down on the helipad and was just staring up at the sky. It was just incredible. Yeah. Oh my and God. And I was there for about 30 minutes and then the feeling on the ranch started to change. 
and, oh. it, and it happened pretty quick and, and you can feel it. And I was like, okay, it's, it's time to go. Time and to so go. you get in and you leave. And, and I've learned that as long as I'm paying attention and being attentive, I can avoid a lot of problems. And it, there's, that's so true. I, I, I know what you mean by that. I really do. Now, are your other, are the other people as in tune with that as you are, or is it because you're there so much? It's a good question. Like Dragon, I mean, we, we joke with him. He's uh, alien repellent because uh, the rest of us, I think the the rest of us could literally be sitting there getting zapped and he'd be looking around and saying, what's your guys' problem? You know, he, <laughs> he, he seems like he's immune to most of this stuff. Even it's funny, um, even in the episodes, uh, there, there's a couple of times that personal issues are required him to be away. And then all of a sudden stuff just starts going haywire and he comes back and we joke with him, uh, that, that he missed it. So I think some of the caretakers, there's been times where they've been on the ranch and they just have to leave and go get a hotel and stay off the property, um, because they don't like what they're feeling. Um, Caleb has gotten to where he's pretty, he's pretty cautious and in tune with it. Eric, again, Eric is very, uh, I love Eric. He's so, he's such a scientist. He's so mm -hmm. analytically, so disciplined, yep. but there's a side of him where he accepts and he's open-minded that maybe there's stuff he doesn't understand. And he himself was very in tune with that. So, um, I think the, the problem is some of us are more uh, sensitive to it yep. than others. Yep. I don't know that dragon yep. has to be that in tune because some, I mean, I guess the ranch is scared of him as well. I'm not sure, but <laughs> I know I would be, I'm a little intimidated by I can tell you. Um, you know, one of the things I really was impressed with as you've gone through season one and season two is the way that you've come together as a group. Oh yeah. And, and you work together, you're working separate, but you're working together and offer a common cause and then bring everything together. And that seems to have been a big thing this season. Yep. We, with the exception of Travis, we've all been, the core team's been together since Brandon bought the, bought the ranch. Now I didn't, I'm, I'm kind of the outsider because pretty much, well, Tra uh, Caleb is too. Caleb's actually my brother-in-law, married oh, wow. my younger sister. So, um, we needed more help in the security area. And, and, uh, so I brought him on, but with the exception of that, all the rest of those guys, whether it's, uh, you know, Bryant, Brandon's relationship goes back 25 years. Or, or more, and uh, Candace went to school with with them. Oh, wow. um, so Jim Morse uh, was Brandon's first client. So, oh, really? Wow. Or I should say, maybe Brandon was Jim. Jim was developing a high rise tower, and, and here comes this eighteen year old kid wanting to be a real estate broker. And so Jim gave Brandon his first shot at wow. doing uh, Class A. So they've got a long history together. And then uh, I've, I've only been in the picture for the last five years, but we care very much about each other. Mm -hmm. We're good friends on and off the camera. And, you know, Travis coming in, it, it was a little shaky at first. Uh, but, you know, that's just that's just the male egos, right? We're all trying yeah. to figure out where we fit in the picture. But I love Travis to death. He's, he's been a great fit. And uh, mm -hmm. we, we complement each other really good. Yeah, you all do. And then like, like Jack was just saying, you guys have gelled as a team. And that helps you to work together. And because now, you know, you're sensitive to each other's, you know, personalities and feelings, 
you know, like when you're starting to get a feeling of something, everybody takes you seriously. It's not one of those things, oh, you know, whatever, and take you seriously on it. Same thing with Travis. And, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you look at that, that the more analytical mind, and not to say that you don't have an analytical mind, because you can tell that you do, because you guys are all researchers, every one of you, Dragon, you, Eric, I mean, you're all part of this research, which, you know, quite honestly, a lot of us are envious of, because we'd love to be out there helping you, um, and experiencing some of these things too. But, you know, it's, it's, it's that team aspect now that you have come together and it's, and you notice that when you have a team, like let's, let's talk about the rockets real quick. Uh, Bringing the rockets out there. You tried the experiment in season one where you shot the rocket up. Um, You didn't really get to collect a whole lot of data from that, but there's that UAP that shows up, right? And everybody sees it. You're all standing there by the helipad and you're watching this UAP show up that is, you know, photographed. then you decide in season two to let's let's step this up big time, um, and I and I gotta say I love your 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 quote that you did on, uh, for that too. It's like who doesn't love rockets, right? I mean, right? That was, that's a perfect quote because I'm thinking the same thing. Yeah. I mean, we, we, yeah, don't know when you, we don't know when you filmed them, but it was right around the fourth of July, so that was kind of apropos for everything. <laughs> yeah, it came out around you know the fourth or seventh or whatever. Yeah, the seventh of July came out right after the fourth. We're thinking, yeah, that's great. You know, they're shooting rockets, rockets regular. <laughs> but um, but you know, you're stepping that up and now you're doing the rockets. And before we get to that part, which I want to talk about a little bit, we we had the you had the experience with um David Barber, I believe was his name, mm-hmm. uh, was getting that the experiences. So because you guys are a team, because you, and you talked about this beforehand, before you got started, you were all under the canopy there. And you're like, Hey, if you feel something, talk about it, bring it up. Don't be shy. Let's, you know, anything, whether it's visual or their feeling or a mental, you know, whatever you're, you know, if you're feeling, hearing something, bring it up and talk about it. And he did. Can you tell us a little bit about his experience? I know there's probably more that happened than what we saw on the show. But what was your take on his experiences that he had? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just say I'm grateful that he did. People need to understand when we bring these experts onto the ranch, for a lot of these guys, like it's their first time of being on national television. This is a chance for them to showcase their company. Um, you know, this can be a big deal for a company to be able to be on a national platform, right? Yeah, and so the we, we've brought companies out before and – we, we always run into this routine, but there's so many of them. This is their chance to look professional. It's their chance to showcase what they can do. And it's very frustrating for them if they come out and on here, here's their big chance and their equipment's not working right or, oh, yeah. or they're feeling funny and, and they don't want to look like a baby on television. You know, Dave, as he's, as we're carrying the rocket up and he's all like, you know, I'm glad somebody else is feeling because I don't feel like such a nutcase. So to yeah, their credit, <laughs> Lock Precision was one of the coolest people. I mean, we've we brought a lot of great people out on the ranch, yep. but Lock Precision, Dave and Alan, all those guys, like true professionals in every sense of the word. Uh, we not only blasted off the rockets that you saw on television, we did a whole bunch more that didn't show up. I had a feeling. Yeah, <laughs> that was it was a really long day, but those guys, I, I can't say enough good about Lock Precision and the true professionals they are. So for Dave to come on to be honest with what's going on there. So we're up there and yeah, there was a lot that went on there that didn't make it on television. So for example, um, 
Dave, Dave described it as like being in an MRI machine and feeling like the iron in his blood was being pulled out. Wow. Um, that was Dave's description at one point is he said he, he felt like he was in an MRI machine and that the iron was like trying to be pulled out of his blood. Um, he was, you could see it so clear as day. His arms were nothing but goosebumps. And mind you, I mean, I don't, it probably was like 90 something degrees out there. Yeah. It was hotter than it wasn't for a chill. Yeah. Sweating. Yeah. It, it was, it was not because we were chilled at all. And, but the interesting thing about Dave is, is that he starts having this reaction, which is fascinating that it's affecting him here. I am known to be very sensitive to this mm -hmm. stuff yeah. and I'm not feeling it so much. Um, but then shortly after he saw like, Oh my gosh, guys, I'm feeling this. We did our meters did start picking up spikes. So the meters really? started to go off that backed up and verified what he was feeling, which was really mm -hmm. cool. It's always validating when you have a science instrument, yeah. you know, say, yeah, what you're feeling is there's an explanation. Yep. Um, then the, then at the same time, another interesting thing that happened. So while all that's taking place, we start having a, a meter that starts doing the little siren, like the little alert. We can't find what the heck is causing this. We literally went through every rocket. Like we were, we were tearing open all of our totes of supplies we searched for like 15 minutes trying to find this instrument that is that is going on um, going off yeah we never did find it we could wow. never find this we we literally looked everywhere for the, and and it seemed to be coming right there under the tent and that's the thing we couldn't understand is like here's this instrument that's beeping an alert we never found it and wow. that that happened at the same time but it, they say we search for 15 minutes that's too long to show on television they just cut it all out but this is all going on while dave is having this reaction so pretty significant it and, is uh, very much so yeah and the the launch pad that we are set up on is literally directly above the triangle i mean we're we are right there yep. and so for him to be having this eventually he has to end up we ended up sending him off the hill and bringing somebody else up. But, um, yeah. Is he okay? Have you heard from him after the fact? I mean, obviously this was last year, but I mean, is, was he, did he, you know, we talk about the hitchhiker effect. I mean, right. is, is he okay? I mean, did that continue or is he, do you know, to or can you say to my knowledge? He's, he's, uh, he's fine. Um, I haven't, I haven't spoken to him, um, since last year, but I, I think, Dragon's really good at keeping in touch with people. I think him and Dragon have, have kept in. But, um, you know, we came down and, and uh, he seemed to be fine when we left. We He was there the next day as we were cleaning everything up, getting ready to send him back. And right. he said he was fine, seemed to be fine. But it definitely shakes you up. Oh, man. Yeah, I can only imagine. You know, and we we touched uh, a little bit on – on. Um, and, and I do, I, I, I was just realized, man, I'm so enthralled by all the stuff you're telling me. I, I completely forgot about some of the questions. So we're going to get to some of these questions, folks, in just, a, in just a minute. Just bear with me a moment. We got about 30 minutes, about, so I'd like to try to limit these to two hours. Uh, but I, I've just been fascinated by all the information you've been imparting with us. So, um, But I did want to bring up about uh, Caleb and his phone. Um, you know, it, it, I know that people would love to pitch in if we need to pitch in and help him get a new phone or get his screen, screen replaced, uh, the glass replaced on his phone with being all cracked. It was cracked in season one. It's still cracked in season two. But the phone itself, 
Uh, first, let me ask you this. Does anyone else's phone get weirdness happening like this? Yeah. So um, last year when the whole cow thing was going on, Caleb's phone starts going crazy. Uh, he's got an iPhone. I have a Samsung. I think, I think season one, it was like a Samsung nine. It was whatever the newest model was at the time. Right. Um, but I, yeah, so I have an Android or a Samsung. Um, and then I'm trying to remember if Travis's went to, um, Eric had a, had an iPhone five that mm -hmm. has had, that has gone issues. Matter of fact, you see some artifacts. Eric was able to get some screenshots of his. That's the whole magnet buildup. Uh, in season one, when Eric yeah. brings out the mag, you know, yes. oh, yeah. show, Eric, yeah. show him what's in the case. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that's one Eric's been able to reproduce what he saw on his phone with with the magnet. But that, I think that was an iPhone five. We had another Android uh, that went completely haywire um, that Eric has retained, and he actually Eric does a forensic where he literally took the phone apart piece by piece. He's a plasma physicist, electrical. Um, and he tests each component in the phone, oh. the, the capacitors, the, all the little chips. Um, he did a thorough forensic analysis on that phone, was able to isolate where the problem took place. Um, Caleb's phone, you know, <laughs> same phone. We, we actually were with him, like we were all together on a group on, on Monday on the ranch. And, uh, and Bryant was just, or dragon, he's just like, Caleb, I swear, if you show up with that phone on television again, I'm going to take it and throw it in the river. Like, I'm so tired of hearing people say, can we just get Caleb a new phone already? But, uh, you know, uh, Caleb's a very frugal guy. If it works, he's like, if it works, I'm going to keep using it. But the interesting thing is, is he only ever has malfunctions like that when it's related to the ranch. And the other thing is, is, People say, well, it's because it's got a cracked screen. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, let me tell you something. If all I got to do to hack an iPhone is crack the screen and then right. I can bypass their security uh, code and, and get right in, then, you know, that's the easiest hack in the world. And I'm sure yep. Apple wouldn't, wouldn't be happy about that. Yes, maybe the cracked screen makes the phone more susceptible. I don't know. But the cracked screen does not explain his phone turning itself on. It doesn't explain bypassing his security code. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, we've that's happened multiple times. And there's been multiple times where his phone's not the only, you've got his iPhone, you've got my, Sam, my Samsung Android, and we've had others there as well. Electronics is something that we deal with. Electronic malfunctions is something we deal with all the time, which goes back to the whole electromagnetic interference yeah. that Eric was talking about with the magnet. Right. I was watching, um, I, you know, I'm members of some of the, many of the other Ryan's group and uh, some of the other Skinwalker Ranch groups. Um, and I, and I was out there and this was just yesterday and I saw, uh, and this was, I believe it was uh, Vicki Bushert um, had a, a post out there. Um, and I believe it was on Skinwalker Ranch on Ryan's site. Um, and she said, you, and, and I, and I was mad to get that I hadn't thought of it. Um, because it's a brilliant idea. She said, has anybody thought to take and record his phone acting wonky from start to finish? Just record the entire thing. Because Travis had mentioned one time when you guys were moving the rock that was the 
coordinates from the Sherman family. And you guys were moving that rock out of the way. And I think that he had mentioned, I, or it may, it may not have been that episode. I, I'm trying to remember exactly when it was, but he had made a comment that maybe they're trying to talk to us. And then somebody else said, well, maybe they're trying to warn us. So the idea was that you record the, the what's happening on his phone and then try to, to do you take it slow-mo and find out, is it really some kind of a code or, or is it really somebody trying to reach out to us? Has any, has there been any thought to anything like that? You know, kind of looking at if you, if you ever saw the movie contact, you know, when there's a signal within a signal that they had to decipher and, and, and pull it apart to get to the true message that was in there. Is that something that any, has anybody thought of anything like that with his phone? Yeah. So we, yeah, we've, we've talked about that a bunch. Mm -hmm. The hard part is when it happens, you don't have control of the phone. So you have to have an external, you have and have to have another device that can record it. Right. And so right. obviously when we're out there filming and something like that happens, you have the camera guys that run over there and they start to watch it over the shoulder. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we, we actually have a lot of that on film um, where, but from start to finish, well, we have to finish, but sometimes we miss the start of it, trying to get a camera guy yeah, to come yeah, over. Exactly. Um, the, I, I think that, yeah, um, I think it needs to be looked at very carefully because the whole question is, is that, is that a total random thing? Like why are those specific apps being opened? Why are those bump numbers being pushed? There has to be some rhyme or reason as to why right. that function is taking place. Right. I, I would, I would think. I would think so too. And it's happening so fast that you can't, you know, it, I mean, the numbers were just scrolling by at a point you couldn't thumb it that you fast. Right. No way. And it, it's like, you know, like, like she had said, you know, record it, get now put it in slow-mo so you can see exactly what numbers are being pushed in what sequence and maybe there is a story there who knows but yeah i thought that was a very uh very cool idea and like i said i was when i read that i was like why didn't i think of that that was you know that's so uh significant to the whole story i think and i and i thought that you know when you're out and you know and i love when you do your your video out on you know you went out and you explained the whole thing about the the uh the cow that died last year and then people were saying when they saw the hide, when they, and I forget who that was, Dr. The guy that came out to take Dean a look. Taylor. Thank you. Yes. Um, and it all of a sudden now it's Brown and they're like, Oh no, it's a different one. And you, and you got on and explained that. Thank you for that stuff. I mean, that it kind of leaves that up for us to ask those questions and then get it out to the public as best we can on these shows like this one um, to explain, but thank you for doing that. But when you're out on the ranch and you're doing the, um, uh, you know, when we talked about earlier, when you're opening the val irrigation valves and irrigating different areas of that, and you're out there at night, have you ever thought about like wearing a, like a, a cop, you know, they get those, those cam, the, have you ever thought about that? I mean, you're, you're an investigator and you're also susceptible to all these different things going on there and you can feel the ranch. And believe me, I am a believer in that. You know, I don't think that was crazy at all when you're talking about that, because people are very sensitive to these things and you apparently are. Have you ever thought about wearing a, a body cam just to, I, I think the public would be love to see that. Now Prometheus might not like you doing that, but have you ever thought about that? Yeah. So yes. And matter of fact, we've talked about that at length as a team, mm -hmm. you know, it's overwhelming because there we have a list a mile long of things that we should be doing. 
but we're limited by manpower and time. And so there's so many of these things where like, oh, we should do that. But then like it goes along and it doesn't get done. Yeah. And I have to say, if I have my one big regret on the ranch is because I came on out taking in the place seriously. Um, if, if I could go back and redo anything on the ranch, it's that I would have been much more meticulous at documenting these uh, incidents. Yeah. Yep. Right. So there's a lot of these that, now, I will say when something happens, I've been very good about telling Eric. So there is record and and Eric is meticulous about documenting it. Mm -hmm. I wish that I would have. And it's something that I'm doing right now is I'm actually going back and trying to document. But you, there's so many details that are lost mm -hmm. it, going back after the fact. And uh, so um, the, the body cam thing, that is something that definitely we've talked about. And that's something. I'm, I'm hoping that we go from talking about it to actually doing it. Um, there's just the logistic sides of, of it. We, we literally are taking on terabytes of data every mm -hmm. month and it just becomes overwhelming with the amount of data that we have. So adding in more, uh, that it's something I might do personally. I don't know, but it, it, you're right. Like it's something that should be taking place. Yeah. We'd love to see that. And that kind of information is things that we, um, and, and again, I, I being a, uh, you know, a member of that, that group, I get to see when you post stuff like that out there. Um, it's really interesting. And, and, but we get to see a different side of things that we don't get to see on the show. And even though you were driving in the side-by-side -side out there with your, you know, your phone, I'm assuming you were using your yeah, phone to record that. Yeah. So, I mean, even though it was still interesting, I, I was enthralled just watching you and what you were doing out there, that kind of information is invaluable. And at the same time, if something were to happen, some sort of an experience, you see a UAP or you see a, a, a portal open that Travis is telling he's getting in trouble with his mom because he's like, if a portal opens, I'm going in there. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm one of those people that probably would too. But I mean, if something like that happened, you'd be right there. You'd have the camera on, boom, you could, you could document this as it's happening. Like, like when you guys did the experiment, um, when you did the rabbi's recording of his tonal uh, chant that he was doing uh, when you it was really interesting when he did it and the and anomalies you were getting on the thermal uh, imager um, you know that was and that look what looked like a portal opening up in homestead too i think it was homestead two building right there mm -hmm. um but you were you and i think it was uh caleb were up on the on the ridge i believe and you saw when you were doing the recording portion of it um you saw a a, a light or something happening was that, if I remember correctly, you saw the light first and you were telling the guys on the ground, there's something going on behind the corner of the, the homestead. And so everybody focused on that point. And then you were going out in the field and watching with the night vision camera. What was that all? What was that? I mean, it did, did, was that, it, could you explain that to us a little bit? What was happening there? Yeah. So that was the repeat of the experiment. Obviously the first time the rabbi came. Now here's, here's some things for your viewers. It's the first time that we did that experiment, it was pretty warm outside. Mm -hmm. And we saw the thermographic change and, and we actually walked down there and I, I'm not kidding. Like it was bone chilling from the core. It was just like instant cold straight through you, like a human cold kind of where it goes right through you. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, it was instant. I, I, you just walk straight into it. The second time, the problem with our cameras, we were all set up across the across the canal there mm -hmm. and we were observing we had a very 2d dimension you know from the cameras so the the second time we did it 
we set it up so that we had cameras looking more from the side. And then that's why Caleb and I went down on the road is I wanted to be down and have a different view of it so that we could see more from the side than just looking straight at it. And the second time we did it, I believe the thermometer, it shows there, like it was pretty cold. You'll see, we all have jackets on. It was 40, I think it was 47 degrees when we did that experiment. And the opposite thing happened, right? We see a pocket of warm air come in. So it was the, act, it was the complete inverse uh, effect that we saw in the first one. Mm-hmm. Caleb and I are up on the road, but we're looking at it more from a side angle. And the interesting thing is, is that uh, we're looking through the camera and I start seeing a flickering taking place uh, back in the back window of the, of the Homestead 2, wow. except for there's no glass in that window. It's, yeah, it's there's long, no way to get that reflection. Yeah. And so um, because the way the way that I was seeing it, it looked like almost like if there was a reflection in the glass, but there was no glass there. Mm-hmm. And that's really what caught our eye. So we go inside, we find that this thermometer is laying down on the floor. Um, you know, how it, how it got down there. I don't know. We didn't hear it crash. There wasn't wind. I can't imagine that it rolled off because when we set it up, I personally was there when we put that up there yep. and you make sure that it's stable. Yep. Like I have a hard time believing that it just rolled off. Yeah. Um, go in there, thermometers on the ground. And then Travis is looking out the back window towards mm-hmm. the South and sees an object out there. And, and so I ran out and, uh, I couldn't see anything with the naked eye. And that's thing is that most of what we're seeing is not things you can see with the naked eye. I could only see it through my thermographic and that my, my particular, thermographic camera has multiple settings on it so Mm -hmm. you can do white hot or red hot you know the settings with the color variations my camera was set on white hot white white hot so what i was seeing was a white object Mm -hmm. and uh we ran down through the field and and it was it was going towards the south and then when i got to the barbed wire fence i'm looking through there and i'm not seeing anything and there was this big white object i mean it I, I guessed it to be about six or eight feet around. I thought what I was looking at was a Russian olive tree. Um, and because the trees were showing up as hotter right, uh, right. in this imagery. And so I'm looking through, you can't see, it's darker than dark out there. I can't see anything in the naked eye. Um, and so I'm looking through this and I, I'm looking and I just see what I thought was a tree. And all of a sudden this supposed tree starts to move towards the west and that's when i was like oh my gosh that's not a tree (laughs) and and watch this thing float into the trees this is a thermographic effect like but it's very well defined in the sense that it's it's a ball right and and it's moving together it's not dissipating out this ball is moving and moves into the trees and then we did pick it up again. Caleb and Travis both saw it with theirs and saw it go through the tree, but those trees are so thick. We couldn't get like, wow. we couldn't travel with it. Right. Right. Oh my goodness. That's, so. that's the kind of stuff that see though. It's those personal experiences that uh, unfortunately we only get a tidbit of on the show. Uh, and that's why I love having these kind of shows because it gives us an opportunity to hear those personal experiences, those stories like that, that, 
I, 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 you know, I just can't imagine to be there and see that for myself would just be a, it's a life changing experience. Oh my goodness. So yeah, it just adds to the fact that there is so much happening there. Um, one, I, I do want to get to some of you folks. I'm so sorry. I've been so enthralled by everything that he's been talking. Thomas has been talking about with us here tonight <laughs> or today. I've been, I missed some of these, but I did want to ask some of these. And uh, let's see, one of the questions here, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to mess up some of these names. Uh, it's either uh, Ginny Howard or Jingy Howard said, uh, she said, hello, of course. And then she was asking about your, um, you and Dragon. Um, how did you get to meet Dragon? Was it after you came, he came to the ranch or did you meet him somewhere else before that? Or uh, you know no. for a long time? I met, I met dragon through the ranch. Um, okay. I came out there and, um, uh, the first time Brandon came out to the ranch, dragon was his security detail and, uh, and was there. And then of course we've had security on the ranch ever since. Mm -hmm. And so I've had the, the privilege of working closely with him for the last you know, five years. Yeah. He's a, he's great. I, I really like him a lot. And, and I like, you see a completely different side of him, you know, watching him on some of the interviews that he's done. Um, we'd love to have him come on the show too. Sometime we can join him. The two of you guys come on together would be awesome uh, at some point. And I, I think that uh, one of the other questions we had that I, we did get to it. Um, uh, she also asked about the, uh, uh, we talked about the phone. We we covered that already. And then uh, Jennifer was also asking about the water uh, that was picked up in the um, in the triangle area that was underground that we kind of covered on that. So thank you, Jenny, uh, Jennifer, for that one. Um, there was another one here about um, uh, this is from Stephanie. Um, and she asked, uh, she said, of all the unbelievable things that happen on the ranch that did not make it uh, past the editing process, um, what does uh, what do you uh, wish would have been included, and can you expand on that? Keeping within your NDA, of course. What kind of really big experiment would you or thing that happened would you've loved to see make it to the show that didn't? Um, I so I probably can't talk about the one, but um, I, I I will I will I got myself in trouble last year. Because okay. um, yeah, I know we don't want to get you in trouble. We don't want to get you in trouble. No, no, no. I actually got in trouble with the team, not not oh. the ranch team, but the production team. Uh because I, I tend to be a little outspoken sometimes, more more than I have the authority to be. Um and to answer a question, we had so many problems with drones last year. Um I think I think we had over six drones that were destroyed in filming last year. Oh, and okay. Wow. There was one, there was one specific, like, and these weren't just like accidents. This is like messages showing up on the controllers of them being disconnected and then watching the drone with the self avoidance and all these things, like literally plow right into the, oh, man. the, the ground. We had, we, uh, we have drone parts at the ranch, the, <laughs> like that drone so, scrapyard. Yeah. There was one particular one where I felt like it was very significant and, and that was had to do with part of the backstory of things that had happened prior. So we had this drone crash and, you know, when we do these events, they're pulling us off and do, we're doing interviews. Like what was your initial thought? Right. We call them on the fly, you know, yeah. OTFs on the fly yeah. interviews. Um, and so we're doing an experiment. This drone gets, has some pretty, serious malfunctions 
And we're doing the interview and we get done with the interview. And I'm like, aren't you going to ask me about the drone? And they're like, well, it's probably not going to play. And I'm like, what, what the hell do you mean? It's not going to play. Like, did you guys just witness what happened? Like, how could you say it? And he's like, well, you know, um, we've had that we've had so many problems with the drones that that's probably played itself out. And I'm like, no, <laughs> uh, it's part of the story. And, and look, I under, I, I want to we have disagreements sometimes with what the editors choose to put in and not put in, but I have to say they have a hard job Yes. when you're taking hundreds, if not thousands of hours of footage and you did, their job is to create a show that brings in high ratings so that we can do it again next year. Right. And right. they're very, they're, they are true professionals and they're just doing their job of trying to do what they think will bring ratings in because we have, we really have two segments of the audience here. We have the segment like you guys that are really interested in this and you're more into the data. You, you want to know like what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. Then you've got the segment that they're really not interested. They're coming home from work. They're tired and they just want to turn on the TV and be entertained for an hour. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and they don't really care about this other. And so they, they would, there's no way they would sit through an hour of tedious science. They just want to be entertained. Yep. So the, the editors have the job of trying to try to, marry those two sometimes they do better than other times mm -hmm. but I, I do want to give them kudos i think that they do the best job they can but there are incidents the drone answering your question we've had some pretty incredible things people always ask one of my biggest frustrations here with the show we have what's called the the fourth curtain or the fourth wall that is like the production doesn't exist oh right right mm -hmm. right and it's frustrating because you don't think for a second that it's those five team members out on camera. They're the only ones that are experiencing odd things. Right. The production has had just as many frustrating things happen to them, but uh, you open a whole can of worms there uh, if you start bringing that in. So if it happens behind the camera, it's as if it didn't happen. Yeah. That's and too bad. people ask all the time, well, how come that guy's drone on television didn't work, but the network's drone was working just fine. Well, there's, there's multiple aspects to that. Either that's part of the story. You can have two identical drones. This one won't work and this one will. Why? Or there's the stories of like, neither drone would work. And so we had to go back the next day and get the drone shots for that scene. And so what you're actually seeing is not in the moment you're right. seeing, right? There's all the production side of that. And so it's frustrating because there are some pretty thing, pretty significant things that happen to the production side that, that are not on the show. So. Yeah. And that's, yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what this is for. So we can get that information, but it is, and I can, I, I can only imagine how frustrating that is for them but also for you guys, because like you said, you're, you're not going to show that. I mean, come on, that was significant. And yeah. Wow. And, and in knowing that the, the production crew is going to have experiences as well. And I would imagine they kind of get caught up or some of them would anyway, get caught up in this whole thing. Uh, they become kind of investigators themselves because I know if I was a cameraman doing that, I'd be all, you know, I'd, I'd really be uh, very interested in what's going on as well as uh, filming it at the same time. So Wow, that's that's truly interesting. I know, and I got to ask, uh, Mark, as we're starting to wrap up here, Mark asked the question uh, about your hat. He loves your hat, and I do too. I think that's an awesome hat, by the way. That's uh, <laughs> so. What's uh, what's with the and what what? what it's uh, <clears throat> it's bullhide. Oh, okay. Yep. 
So it, it's made by a company, Bullhide. Uh, the funny thing is, is that the year before we started filming, I was vacationed in Daytona, and I've got this straw hat that looks similar. It, I look like an idiot wearing it, but it, it, you know, I wear it when I'm on the beach. Mm-hmm. And we were in Steamboat Springs at FM Light and Sons. It's a Western wear store, and and I saw the hat there, and I was like. I put it on and I happened to be wearing it the one day when we were shooting the trailer and the producer saw it and he told me, he's like, you're wearing that hat. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, okay, but yeah, they're leather hats. They're very nice. They're not cheap, but uh, it's, it's made by Bullhide and you just, uh, you know, I'd love if Bullhide sees us one of these days, if they would send me a free hat, but that hasn't happened yet. So. <laughs> or at least a check in the mail for advertising oh, the right. hat for him all the time. I've sold a lot of hats. It's one of the top <laughs> questions I get asked. Yeah, I would imagine that's uh, that's really uh, that's it's a cool hat. And that's how we know you now. I mean, if I see a picture, you know, you could I could see you in a picture of 10 people standing at a little bit of a distance. But if I see that hat, I go, oh, there's Thomas right there because you are that hat. That hat yeah. is you. So that is me, yeah. <laughs> well, I buy a new one for each season because they're leather and they tend to shrink with oh, like, yeah. wetting in it and stuff. So I have to I have to buy it. So you know, if Bull Heights watching this, I would sh- I'd sure appreciate <laughs> your people to get a hold of my people. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Let's let our people take talk. a free hat. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It is a cool hat. That it is really is. And I'm yeah. glad Mark asked that question. Um, one, and I'm, and again, I'm going to try to breeze through these kind of quick here. Uh, Brenda was asking some, she had several questions, uh, that were, and she was talking about the, the rockets. And I think you kind of alluded to this already, that there was a lot of rockets that were shot off that we didn't see. We only saw the certain ones. Um, so apparently there was a lot, I mean, you guys were out there, but like 14 hour day or something, I would imagine from early morning to late at night doing all those rockets. So there was from a lot early of, morning to early morning. I think we oh, finished really? up. That last rocket that we shot off with all the glow sticks ended up mi- landing like a mile and a half. We oh, we had, oh my gosh, we hunted for that thing for like probably over an hour um, before we found it. And uh, it, we didn't get that day wrapped up. I think it was like probably one, two, maybe three o'clock in the morning by the time oh, wow. we, we got all wrapped up. Um, but we shot a couple of rockets off at dark. I really wish they would have shown because precision or lock uh, precision they brought these uh the the motors and they had uh the the accelerant in them burned colors so we oh. shot one off that was red oh, we shot cool. one off that was green they looked so cool at night just blasting up in the air um but yeah we we shot off a lot of rockets that didn't end up making it on tv yeah i would imagine and the, and the data from that i mean unfortunately and that's what's leading us to our next episode next week is the fact that you got a lot of a lot of you collected a lot of data, but it didn't look like we've got a lot to give us any answers. Um, and it looked as if there might be a point where okay, we've got to spend more time in that area, five thousand feet above the ranch. How else can we do that? And now there was the going to Brandon and asking permission to go up in the helicopter and get that. So, and I and I honestly would say that as Cameron, I believe, is the helicopter pilot, John Brandon's <laughs> brother. Um, I, I I would be a little, <laughs> he, he's even said on the show that he tries to stay away from going directly over the, the, the actual, the ridge, Skinwalker Ridge, because of the things that happened there. He tries to avoid that. Um, but uh, man, I don't know. I, I would be a little worried about going up in a helicopter myself. I don't know. <laughs> One quick question. And that's not for show. Would they transponder on that they have, you have there, 
have planes gone over that area, that 5,000-foot level? Have things happened that they've reported back to you that they have fell or anything else? That's a good question. Um, no. Nobody no. said anything, yeah. Because, yeah, I, there was one. I was looking at one of the pictures that was on the show that I captured of of the uh the and that i think that's so great that you guys have that um not only when you're shooting rockets off but to know when you see an anomaly in the sky and go look at the transponder you can actually see the screen of the the uh planes flying over but you see some that are flying over the area that are you know relatively low you know they're four or five six thousand feet uh smaller planes or whatever and that's a good good question that would be interesting to know if they uh anybody has reported anything weird like that um, another question that Brenda asked, we we already uh, pretty much uh, got that. We were talking about uh, Dave Barber and his experiences, um, and, and and you already alluded to the fact of, you know, talking about whether or not that was followed up on uh, and how he's doing, you know, months or so after the, uh, the incident. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, and then also we were talking, she asked about, uh, I assume the strange phenomena happened around the triangle as well as in it. Uh, is there something special about the triangle itself that stops at the roads? And I would think not, but maybe with that water feature, I don't know, that underground water feature. Um, oh, one thing, too. She asked about the concrete room in the basement of Homestead 1. Or Homestead, homes, yeah, Homestead yeah. 1. Homestead what, 1. Did you ever figure out what that concrete room was for? I think, yeah, so honestly, I think it was a water, I think it was built to be a water cistern. Uh -huh. um, okay. The thing that made that room um, unusual is the simply the fact that when we found those bones, like, so there's only one pipe back in the corner. The only, the only in or out of there is just mm -hmm. a single pipe in the back. And it's, you know, it's, I don't know, three quarter, one inch galvanized pipe coming in. Um, so the, the, having a rodent in there is not mysterious to me. What was interesting was that the, you have that pile of bones right there in that spot. I don't know why they were piled up. And the bones seemed to be fragmented as if they had been put in a blender and like, like, you know, they were all busted up, broken, wow. which if you have one rodent that ate another rodent, okay, I get that. But there was no intact skeletal remains. You would expect that if, if, a, if a rat got in there and, and eventually it, laid down right there and died and had another something in its stomach, you would see that, but you would at least have the one animal that had the intact skeletal remains. And, and that just wasn't the case. What we had was a pile of broken bone, fragments. broken fragmented rodent wow. bones or whatever. That was the mysterious part of that room. Um, as far as its nature, I think it's just a water cistern, but, okay. but there is some mystery around that. Like it, there are some odd things, but, yeah, that was that was pretty uh, pretty. You know, obviously that was in season one. You know, going in there and busting a hole in there and getting in, take a look around, and and really, what in the world was that all about? But yeah, it makes sense that that would be a cistern of some sort, with the, especially if it had one inlet pipe or outlet pipe, whichever you want to look at that inlet pipe going into it. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. She also asked, can he tell us anything about uh, the do not dig here rock? I mean, you know, it looked like when you rolled it over, there was like possibly uh, an image there of like the Thunderbird or whatever. But um, I don't know. I mean, was that was that pretty much nothing found there type situation? For me, that was a big nothing found. Um, now, I again, 
or scratching the surface with a little tiny machine that I feel like is just two steps up from a shovel. So mm-hmm. yeah. I would love to go in, uh, if, if that if that is a true statement that that's where the Myers told the Sherman's not to dig, then my thing is is we didn't find anything with the little mini excavator. Let's go in and let's let yeah, first it, of all let's hit it with the ground penetrating radar one yes. more time. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And see if we could pick anything up on the radar, and then go in with bigger equipment. Yep. Yeah. Very good point. Um, yeah, cause you would want to dig a little deeper to see if maybe something was happening there. Um, one last thing too, and, and we got to wrap this up and I'd want to keep you all day. I know you got things to do. Oh, you're fine. Um, uh, was also that, uh, t- the, when they had out, um, the Sherman's, um, nephew that came and stayed with them, um, that particular episode, you know, he, he talked about several things. Um, but I'm sure there was much more that took place. Uh, and I, and I've, I had his name written down, and for the life of me, I can't find Stephen it. Wall. Thank you. Yes, Stephen Wall. Um, was was what was your impression of of him and, and his experiences? I was he. I mean, I think he spent like the whole day out there with you, didn't he? Didn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, no. So uh, Stevens, uh, he came across as a solid dude. Um, my wife actually knew him from school. Okay. Um, and there's nothing about Steven that suggested that he was making anything up. Now here's some interesting things. Um, when we brought Steven up, up to that point, like I hadn't pointed to anybody. I told him that the triangle was where I'd heard those voices. I mean, as far as like, there's no way publicly that Steven could have had access to that information. We have him in the UTV. We're rolling across the ranch. As we drop off the canal into the triangle area, his exact words was, this is where the crazy stuff starts to happen. Really? And like, really? What do you mean by that? And he told us the story of him and his uncle Terry being just, I mean, right there, the triangle, they would have been probably at the spot where I turned around with my, with my uh, skid steer when I was plowing snow, where I started to have that effect. Yep. Yep. He told a story of him and his uncle hearing a loud voice as if booming down from heaven. Wow. Um, so he had several experiences of hearing voices, uh, very validating to me. And here's bringing on a guy who, who knows nothing of my experiences, hasn't been tainted with them, and he's sharing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's solid. Uh, the one thing about Stephen that that we had to keep reminding ourselves about is that he, w- he was 10 years old at the time that a lot of this was going on, mm-hmm. right? So you're getting a recount of experiences of recollections of a 10 year old child. Right. And even, even when I take myself as a, you know, I've got three sons as a parent, if you have traumatic things going on and you're trying to protect your kid from being, you know, and Steven had already at that point, he'd had some traumatic things happen in his life. That's why he was living with his uncle and aunt. Mm -hmm. Um, And so here's this child you're trying to protect some of the explanations he was giving us from my point came across as that's what an adult would be telling a kid to try to, Oh, you know, it's kind of like, Oh honey, it's okay. Like there's nothing to be worried about. Right. Right. Um, obviously a, a, an adult is not going to be telling a 10 year old child like, Oh crap, the dog's just got <laughs> zapped. Right. Yeah, so yeah. It was fantastic having him on. He's the first, he's one of the first 
firsthand eyewitnesses that we've been able to get on the ranch that was there at the Sherman time. That's not under a non-disclosure. And so his, his recollections were invaluable to us. And yeah, he was there all day. Um, I felt bad that more of his uh, recount was not shared publicly on television and who knows, maybe in the future we'll be able to flash back to some of that. Yeah, hopefully. And I know some people had said on, on other sites and, and we're talking about the fact that, Oh, it can't be what he's t saying. can't be true because the timelines don't line up or whatever. And then on the interview with, with dragon uh, that he was on, I heard him mention about uh, when they were at, they were in homestead one in the basement by the, the, I guess he had stayed. That's where he slept was in the basement mm -hmm. or something. He was talking about that. Um, but he had actually said, Oh, I wonder if this is still there. And he talked about, uh, there was a, I, where he put his name on a, on a piece of, on a, on a, on a so like a wrapping on a, on a vent pipe or something. He had written his name there and sure enough, they went and looked and there was his name and the date. And uh, so that, and that's something that we didn't see on the show, but it was given validity to the fact that he really was there and he very well could have had these same experiences as a 10 year old. But again, like you said, Oh, absolutely. And I'll tell you, that's not like, that's people, I, I don't even understand that math because see, my wife was born in 85 and I believe her and Steve went to school together because mm -hmm. uh, he grew up here in the area. She knew him as a kid, but uh, the Shermans bought the ranch in 94. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he would have been 10 years old in 95. It right. matches up perfect with what he said. And yep. then they ended up selling the ranch to Bigelow in 96, but they uh, Bigelow kept them on the ranch. Now, I think they, if I remember right, they moved off of the ranch, but continued to run it. Okay. Yeah. And and I may be wrong there because see the new caretakers that Bigelow brought on, I believe moved on in, in 2000. So there's a chance I, I would have to ask him, see, I'm not positive, but um, they were there from 94 to at least 96. And then they continued to run the ranch up until 2000. So wow. uh, the timeline matches perfect. I don't understand where people are getting off on their math. Yeah, I don't either. And that's, and that's, again, those, that's, that's those times where, you know, I love, and again, I, I mentioned this earlier when you come off and you do one of your, um, I'll call it a cameo or whatever, when you come out and you do a, a video of your own and you post it on there, thank you so much for that. Yeah. Um, I wish that, you know, some of the other guys would do the same thing, but that's invaluable for the rest of us because we're getting an inside look at some of this other information. Um, and, and being able to see the ranch through different eyes. I mean, we're seeing it through Prometheus's camera eyes all the time. And sure, yes, we're getting a good view. I'm not going to discredit them at all. They do a great job with this. But, but when you do those little videos on your own, I think it's fantastic. And I and I encourage you to continue doing that because I find them fascinating. They are um, fascinating. Really we'll do. keep doing them until they tell me to. I'll keep. <laughs> I will. I have a YouTube channel. I'm putting them on. I'll keep doing it until they tell me to turn it off. I guess. Oh, you do. You have your own YouTube channel. Well, it's just. I mean, it's only got four or five videos on it. This the cow and. The, the whole explaining that that head yes, that was in yes, one of the episodes and, then, yeah, yeah so. what, what's the, what's that what's your channel is it your name or it's just my name okay so wondering. folks look for that out there if you haven't seen it already to go check that out and hopefully we'll see a bunch more uh videos i will keep stuff. putting them on until they tell me to stop <laughs> yeah because it, it is really good and for those of us who are truly truly interested in what's happening at skinwalker ranch um, I, it's, it's, I, I, I look forward to stuff like that because I want more information. I really do. Uh, we've had a fascinating time with you today. And again, I, I don't like to drag these too much over two hours. 
Um, there's so much we could go on and on talking about Jim Morris and, and everything too. Oh, the alpacas. I forgot. Thank you, Linda. Linda just reminded me whatever happened with the alpacas. That was something I was supposed to ask. And I wanted to find out. Are they we okay? found them a safe home off the ranch. So oh, good. Okay, they're right. off in happy pastures, uh, somewhere else. Okay. Did you ever figure out what attacked them? Was that ever found it out? Was, yeah, that, it was tribal dogs. Okay. There's a tri there's a pack of tribal dogs that were running around and mm. and uh now there were some mysterious circumstances surrounding the whole attack and everything that we could get into, but as far as like what it was, you know, it was just a pack of dogs. Okay. All right. Yeah, okay. we were concerned about that too, but we're really glad that they're they're uh, that they're safe. I know quite a bit of quite a few people did ask about that and Linda just reminded me the alpacas and I thought, oh yeah, because I had it written down in my notes to ask about that. So um um, but anyway, so thank you so much, uh, Thomas. Boy, I, this has been fascinating. And uh, like you said earlier, if you could come back on the show at some point, it would be fantastic. We'd certainly We'd love, love to have you back on. Yeah. We'll, we'll uh, drag we'll drag Dragon on here. Yes. And, yes. Oh, that would be, awesome. be great to have both of you on. Yeah, that would be awesome. I'd love to have him on the show and talk to both of you at the same time because uh, – you know, and, and and I know this is something I'd I'd love to joke around about stuff and 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 have a good time with things, but I I try my best not to with this show because of the fact that I know that that what you're doing out there is a serious research uh, event. It's it's yes, you can have a good time, you guys can laugh and joke and and stuff once in a while, and so can we, but we don't want to take away from the seriousness of the research that you all are doing there. Um, it's very important and we want to get some answers just, you know, just as much as you guys do, I'm sure. Um, and so I would love again, if you could come back and if you can drag dragon with you, we'll set it up at some point and talk about it. But again, thank you so very, very much for coming on the show with us here today. Um, we've, we, it's, has been an education for all of us that are interested and we just, uh, I can't thank you enough. I know we could go on and on for another hour or so, but <laughs> I don't want to do that to you. And again, it's hard for people to sit and watch a show for more than a couple hours anyway. So we'll wrap it up and, and call it a day. But again, thank you so much, Jack. Thank you so much for being thank you. a host and the good uh, questions you've had. And, uh, Thomas, thank you so much for being here. Yep. Fascinating stuff. And even Eric, I mean, if Eric wants to, I don't know, I've never seen Eric doing public appearances other than on the show. So I don't know if he's into that or even Travis himself. If Travis would, we'd love to talk to him. I've actually attempted to reach out to him and even Brandon, uh, but I've gotten no response. So I thought, okay, I don't bug people. I'll, I'll give it one try. If I don't hear back from them, I'll leave it alone. But yeah, if you, you know, if you ever talk to him, say, hey, yeah, I had a pretty good time over on Jeff's show. So we could. <laughs> Yeah, no, Eric. Eric loves talking to people about this stuff. I'll I'll reach out to Eric. He keeps Thanks. he doesn't do social media and all that. He keeps yeah. a low profile, but he is very dedicated to it. And uh, so I'll I'll ask him for you. I'd appreciate that. Thank, thank you so much. All right, folks, thank you so much for being here today with us. Uh, we've had a great afternoon with Thomas Winterton, um, the super. Is it superintendent? Is that still your title on the the ranch superintendent, or is it is it evolved from that? Uh. It, it depends. Like branch manager, uh, ranch superintendent. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, thank I tell you again. I'm a glorified janitor. <laughs> no, no, no. You're a researcher. I make sure the gate You're... opens and the toilets flush. I mean, that's. <laughs> no. You are, you are a true uh, world-renowned researcher yeah, of researcher. all things paranormal and, uh, and interesting like this with UAPs and all that. 
no, you're you're world renowned now as a as a researcher. That's all there is to it. All of you are, including Dragon as well. So, and we really appreciate it. Again, thanks, folks, for being here with us today. You guys have a great rest of your afternoon, and don't forget to subscribe if you're out there on the YouTube side. We appreciate it very much. All right, that wraps it up. Have a good day. Bye bye now.